What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Riv. And this is now episode 63. In this episode, we are going to give our all-star starters discuss the 76ers success and if Joel Embiid should be the front runner for MVP if the Miami Heat should trade Bradley Beal or Victor Oladipo if Jalen Brown has now surpassed Jason Tatum and if DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon will be all-stars this season and we're also going to discuss Colin Sexton for the Western Conference portion of this episode we will talk about the Utah Jazz's 10-game winning streak Shy Gilgis, Alexander, and the OKC Thunder, the Rockets' three-game winning streak, if we're worried about the Suns and potential trade packages for Alonzo Ball. And I said Shy Gilgis, Alexander, and it's Shea. <laughs> I, I, I always thought it was Shea, but people kept correcting it, so it it's shy. shy. So before we get into the episode, I want to ask everybody that's listening or watching right now to please give us a review on Apple Podcasts it helps us trend in the charts so more people can find the podcast. And that's the only thing that I'll ask of you that will ask of you because it truly does help. So the all-star voting was up today. I know Jack was spending a bunch of time I was. on his I was list. Struggling. I went back and forth like a couple of times before I finally submitted it. It was pretty easy for me. I, there were like... There were two, maybe three spots. No, there was two that I was really hung up on and one that I was like, could have been a coin flip. The starters, for me, was a very easy pick. I think the bench is going to be very difficult. There's going to be a lot of guys left off the All-Star team that deserve it. More than ever before, I think. Or at least in in the time that I can remember. Like, Just because there's only seven guys on the bench, the five starters, they're like... There's like another whole lineup worth of guys in each conference that could be all stars and probably should be all stars, but it's just so competitive this year. Yeah, especially with Julius Randle in New York, what he's doing. Like I think he is he deserves to be an all star, but his numbers aren't as good as other players, but he'll probably get in because it's New York. And if the fans are voting on it, he's gonna get a lot of votes. Julius Randle's gonna get a lot of votes. So is Zion. How does the how does the reserve voting work? Like the bench voting. I think the coaches do it, right? I think it's a isn't it a three part? Like isn't it like one third fan voting, one third That's the starters. coaches and one third players? The starters and media. Media's part of it too. It's media's coaches and fans, right? Yes. I'm gonna media coaches and the fans. But I think that might that may be the reserves too. Oh, I thought the coaches picked the reserves. If they do, then it's not it's probably not gonna be as biased. Ben Simmons would probably get in if the coaches pick. Hell no. He better not. For the starters, the fans account for 50% of the vote, while all current players on a media panel will account for 25% each. We give the fans 50% of the votes. They are the ones that watch the game. But they're so biased. Like, <sighs> I mean, that's why I think Julius Randle will get in. Because New York has a tremendous fan base. I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember one year Kobe was going to get in, and he didn't play a game. Zion's going to get in, and I think Christian Wood deserves it over him, if we're being honest. I think Christian Wood deserves it over a few dudes right now. I mean, but he's probably not going to get it. 
He should. I agree. Well, Based what, on what did AD, you find out? AD might get in before him. What did you find out about the reserves? Uh, I'm still looking it up right now. But I can't find anything on the bench, just the starters. So I'm going to keep looking. But uh, You don't have to look. It's fine. We'll, we'll find out eventually. Let's start out the episode with giving all, our all-star starters. I'll start with you, Riv. What's your What's your team? What's your starting five for East and West? Just name the East and West ones first and why you got each player there. Well, I kind of messed up because, you know, we were talking about <laughs> if record matters, but it, this is my team if record does matter. So in the West, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, those would be my guards, and then my forwards would be LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, and then my big man, the Joker. That would be my West. The East was kind of the one. It was really just one spot. If record matters, then I had Jalen Brown and James Harden in the backcourt, and then I had uh, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Embiid. But if record didn't matter, I had Beal and Brown, and then Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Embiid. So that would be my team to start. So pretty crazy that Jalen Brown is probably going to be an all-star starter, but he's been playing like one. Before you go, Jack, I'll go. The East, of course, I have James Harden. He's averaging 24-11. and 11. And I'm not just counting the Eastern Conference games. Even in the West, when he played for the Rockets, he was doing his thing. And I think he's the best point guard in the Eastern Conference right Question now. Question, though, before you go, was he going to get in in the West? What? Yes. As a starter. As a, as starter. a starter. Well, we don't, we don't know how things would have played out in Houston had he stayed there. Because that he probably would have had the same was, numbers as Curry. That situation was getting twenty. I, I think he would have kept his 24, 25, and 11. On the Rockets? Yeah, he wasn't really like scoring that much at that point when he was leaving. His last four games, he was he had like two twenty point games. But still, I have James Harden. He's the best point guard in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. Jalen Brown is starting to. He's averaging twenty seven points per game, and he's very efficient this season. Oh. I got Kevin Durant. He's averaging thirty. You already know he's easy money sniper. He's doing his thing. <laughs> then we have Giannis. Giannis is having another MVP caliber season, but because nobody likes Giannis now, <laughs> he's not getting the recognition that he deserves. Like if this was his, if if he was doing this a year that he didn't win MVP before he won MVP, everybody I would th- be going crazy. I just think they're not it. running away like they were in the past two years, like the Bucs. They're not well, winning as much They're second games. in the East. What's yeah. happening to him this year is what happened to Lamar Jackson in the NFL this season. Or more like Patrick Mahomes. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm talking about fan perception of oh. him. Like, oh, since he hasn't like, won that championship team. yet, or he hasn't had that playoff success yet, everybody's opinion. Well, they both of him is starting stinked it up in the playoffs. I'm not gonna so. lie, bro. I hate comparing like NBA and NFL. No, so do I. But so different. I, I totally agree. But I'm just saying, fan, not so comparing the their games or anything. Just the way fans look at them. Like, you remember last year, Lamar won that MVP. There were some people comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. Same Somebody thing with told Giannis. Me he was better than Joe Montana. Which I think is you know. I think you know. I'm he's about. a Ravens fan. Yeah. He's gonna say that. People were saying Giannis was the best player in the world last year, and now they don't have that playoff success. Everybody starts to turn on him. So that I being said, funny. my fifth is Joel Embiid. Yeah. We don't gotta go too much about what Embiid's doing. We're gonna talk about that next segment. But Embiid, he's been balling. Then in the West, I could have went either way. I picked Stephen Curry to be the starting point guard, but you could have went Dame or Luca. I didn't pick Luka because Luka's out of the playoff picture right now. But if the Mavericks go on a two- or three-game winning streak, he's easily in the playoff race regardless. He's averaging close to a triple-double, so he could definitely be on this list. But I got Curry just because it's Curry. The West is so tight right now. Second, my shooting guard is Donovan Mitchell. He's averaging 23 points per game, but the Jazz are on a 10-game winning streak, and I feel like for this 
all for these all star starters, record should matter just a bit. Then I have LeBron starting. LeBron's playing at an MVP level in his 18th season. The Lakers are the second best team in the Western Conference. Then I have Kawhi, another one on the on the cusp, because it could be Kawhi or Paul George. Paul George's efficiency is way better right now. And then for my center spot, I have Nikola Jokic because he's Nikola Jokic. We know what he does. So just before I go, I want to say the bench voting. From what I read, I could be wrong. If I am, somebody correct me in the comments, please. But as of the latest thing that I could find, it's selected by the coaches. Wow. So I told you what the starters are, and then the bench is selected by the coaches. So maybe that gives the lesser known, like Julius Julius Randle might not get that advantage of playing in New York as a bench vote, but I digress. So in the Eastern Conference, I started out with Kyrie Irving at the point guard position. I think that, honestly, like I, I'm trying not to sound like a homer, but I think that James Harden and Kyrie Irving are the two best guards in the Eastern Conference right now. I don't think they'll both be the starters because it's, it's pretty tough to get three starters in the All Star game from one team. Oh yeah. So well, I don't. Well, I don't. State did it. I don't think all three of them are going to end up starting. But I do. When it's think, three as good as them. Yes, I think it can. I do think that Kyrie and James Harden are the two best guards in the East right now. But I went with Kyrie just because our lists are very similar. Wanted to give a little, a little difference. Uh, at shooting guard, I went with Jalen Brown. He's having an awesome year. We'll talk about him later on. Kevin Durant. Having an MVP-type season, he won't get that recognition because of the team he's on, but he's playing incredible. Joel Embiid and Giannis, what is there really to say? I mean, you you see the numbers. You see what they're doing. Um, but the guards were tough for me. It could have been Bradley Beal. It could have been James Harden. You know, th- that was I think the, that was the four would be Harden, Kyrie, Brown, Beal. This four is my be opinion. Guys. Bradley Beal should not, even in, should not even be in the discussion to be starting in the All-Star Why game. Why, though? Because they're losing. Like, I'm not going to reward a guy for losing like that. Even if he's averaging 35, yeah, but he's one of the worst defenders at his position in the NBA. Like, I'll have – also, I want to say this. It really depends when we're talking about Harden and Kyrie. It really depends what you classify Kyrie and Harden as. If you're – I think Kyrie would be a two now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If Kyrie is a one, can he get over Trey and and, – Colin Sexton, I think you just, he can. No, you just said because losing matters and winning matters, and Kyrie and them are playing better than Atlanta, and that, and Trey Young has been playing pretty bad. And that's what I'm saying. And then if you have Harden at the two, I think his numbers show that he should get in over Jalen Brown. So it really depends on where you're slotting them. If you're slotting Kyrie at the one and Harden at the two, then they both should be starting. That's why it helps that well, it helps some guys and it hurts some guys that it's guards and forwards. Okay, so then let me ask you then: if if Harden is a one, I agree he should be in. But if Kyrie's a two, should he really get in over Jalen Brown in the starting lineup? If he's classified as a two, no. I don't. I don't think if if it goes like I think if Harden's at two, yeah, because you know the double. I'm not even looking at it that way. I'm just because it's they label it guards and forwards. Yeah. So. No, but if you're labeling it, that is tough, though. It is tough. It is tough. It is definitely tough. Because even though we know it's guards, guards and forwards, like for the guards, we're still picking the starting guard as a point guard. I'm saying? I disagree. I think of the the last few years, especially in the All-Star game, that classification has kind of gone out the window. Trey Young waited last year. At one point, Kemba and Kyrie was starting in the backcourt. Like point guard, shooting guard, those are Mm. the two. So I think it's just... But like I said, it, it should only be those four guys in the East, Beal, Brown, 
Harden and Kyrie. It's tough to cut that down to two guys. Yeah, but I feel like those should be like Brogdon's gonna get some haha, but no, he shouldn't get in as a starter. Same with Trey Young. I think it should be. Did just you name your more. West? No, not yet. Okay. So then in the West, I went with Steph Curry was a pretty easy choice as my point guard. Dame has been good, but just the fact that I feel like CJ might be outplaying him this year was tough for me to give the nod to Dame over C oh, over Steph, especially because Steph has been so good and has really carried the Warriors to the start of the season they've been having. So he was an easy pick for me. Then I had Donovan Mitchell to two, like you said. It could have been Luka for me, but I rewarded Mitchell because they are the best team in the Western Conference, and he's been playing awesome. Um, Then the forwards were pretty easy for me. LeBron is an easy one. Um, Nikola Jokic, another easy one. Even though they're losing, I think he's been a top three player in the league this season. And then at my third forward spot, this is where it was a little tough. Like you said, Kawhi and Paul George. It's a coin flip. Paul George has been more efficient, but I think Kawhi Leonard has been slightly more important to that team. So I gave the nod to Kawhi Leonard. I think that like that's... Nuggets But are, it could be either player. Nuggets are the fourth seed now. What's their record, though? 11 and 7. So they're right there. They Blazers, really turned it around. Warriors are 10 and 8. Blazers are the fifth seed. What are that? They're 9 and 7. They're over the Warriors. And the Spurs are the ten. Uh, the Spurs are the seven seed. Surprisingly, they've been playing really good. Are yeah. they going to have an All Star? No, no. Yeah, no, I don't no. think so. Who would be the guy to make it from that team? Either Demar Derozan or Aldridge. I don't I think guess. either of them are having no, an All Star. It would be Demar Derozan or Honest to God, Dejounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, God, or him too. Nah, he's not having an All Star here, but Keldon no, Johnson. I'm saying, is if you ask awesome. who would be an All Star out of that team, like Lamarcus Aldridge has been all right, but he hasn't been. Marcus Aldridge. They're just a they're just a well run bunch team. of good players. Exactly. Wait, what are the call ones? me crazy? What you about to say? But before I have Bradley Beal in that discussion <laughs> uh-huh. to start as a guard, because you know Jack said it, they're not going by point guards or shooting guards. So just starting as a guard, mm-hmm. I'd have Trey Young over Bradley Beal, and I'd have Colin Sexton over Bradley Beal. Wow, I know why you're saying Colin Sexton. Yes. I know why you're saying. I mean, Colin he's Sexton. balling. I'm yeah. just gonna say this, and they're winning. I'm gonna say this. I, watching Trey Young, have not been impressed that impressed with him this year. And I, I like him a lot as a player. I think he's got all the potential in the world. But in his game this year. He's like, and I might pick, sorry for cutting off, but I oh, might pick Brogdon over him too. Because he's balling too. And they're the third seed right now. Brogdon's numbers are crazy. He's, he's playing well. You got to put a 35-point score in there. I'm sorry. You just, you got to. Like, you, uh, you I'd put Levine to. over him. Oh, no, he's gonna, he better get in. If he doesn't get in, I'm starting a riot. I don't know, man. I'm just not as but high we're on not, Bradley Beal right not, yeah. Especially as a... No, we're talking about the starters. Oh, Especially okay, to okay. start. I don't I don't think Bradley Beal should be in, this, in the discussion to you start. You think he should be in the discussion to be in, though? Yes, yes, okay, absolutely. Has to, has to get Absolutely. In. I was going to say. It's absolutely. crazy. I mean, yeah, when you bring in winning, those all those guys are carrying their team uh, to some extent. But, I mean, like, am I, I? you guys have seen the Hawks this year. Am I crazy for thinking... No. Trey Young, I don't think he's really improved that much from last year. I watch the Hawks every well every game Cam Reddish plays. So when he doesn't play, obviously I don't watch the. I play. mean, he was amazing last year. Exactly. I think he's impressed me because he's still putting up the same kind of numbers, but they're winning now. So the only it, it's almost not even his fault. I just don't really like the way they run that offense, and I feel like he kind like he kind of gets caught in the crossfire of my blaming of. Their offense, I don't really like how they run their offense, and I feel like I place the blame for that on Trey Young when it's not really his fault, but I feel like they have so many nice weapons that don't get involved as much as they should. They haven't been healthy, though. 
So true. That's it's true. Like Rondo hasn't been healthy fully. Like Danilo, he's just getting back. So those pieces that and, were supposed to be that. And aren't for there. context, I'm talking about Trey Young in a sense of the guys that we're talking about right now, all star starters. He's having an incredible year, but those are all our all star starters list. So all of us have pretty much the same list except Jack went with Kyrie over Harden. No, and, he had Harden. And, and you went with... No, but you went Kyrie over... No, you went, Kyrie I went Kyrie. Brown over I went Brown. Kyrie. No, I went Kyrie and Jalen Brown. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I thought you picked... I thought you went Nets full full. No, play. I oh, okay. wanted to, but oh, okay, I okay. ended up putting And Jaylen you put Brown. Bradley Beal as your starter. Yeah, I did. So I you, had, I did you accident, had Brown yeah. and Beal. I had Irving and Brown, and you had Harden and Brown. Yeah, Harden and Brown. I said Brown. my... If, it, if winning didn't matter, I had Bradley Beal and Jalen Brown. I mean, Brown. the only... Oh, amongst these all-stars, like, okay, for me... Giannis and beat KD, those those are solidified guys. Yeah. Those are untouchables. Agreed. Personally, I feel like Harden is untouchable in that starting lineup. That's just me, though. Like, of course. In in the <laughs> West, in the West, Jokic and LeBron are the only Easy. untouchables. Between Kawhi, Mitchell, and Curry, they're interchangeables. Okay. How is Harden untouchable? Untouchable, but Curry's not untouchable. Because game is have has has he's actually averaging more points than. Stand. He is, but now look at this. And they're you. You said winning. You said winning matters, but, but you they're also better understanding. Let's look at team context. CJ McCollum was playing at the same level as Dame before he went down. And that's are the fourth seed right now, so they're not losing. They're actually higher than the Celtics. Who would you put over Harden? Jalen Brown. They're higher than the Celtics in the standings. Standings. So what? what he wasn't there for the. He wasn't even there for the whole time. They're on like a. They're on like a two game winning streak, bro. Aren't they like two and three with Harden? They're four no. and two. Oh okay. Come on, man. I don't know about untouchable, man. I think he is. 24 and 11. He's averaging a double-double, 24 and 11. I mean, I would I would say I think Mitchell to win that make Trey Young untouchable? I don't think that I don't no. think that either of the I don't think Harden or Curry. Trey Young is averaging 26 and 9. If mm. we're talking solidified spot, like I have full confidence they're going to be the starter. I don't think Harden or Curry has well, the solidified if vote spot. fan vote is 50%. Curry is going to get a spot. That's what I'm saying. You can interchange Curry with Luka. So can you can do the same with Mitchell, and you can interchange Curry or Mitchell with Dame. So that's why I'm saying they're not untouchable. In this, at the same time in the East, though, I mean they have Dame has better stats than Curry, and they're better in the standings. And Luca has better numbers than all all three of them, or all four, of, yeah, all three of them. But they're just not winning. In the East, though, you got to look at Brown, Irving, Harden, Beal. For me, is is those Beal four is knocked guys. out of that conversation for I you. Mean, for you, I think he's knocked out of yes, the conversation. Yes, for you, but They're we're we're talking about we're talking about who's got a locked in spot, and a lot of people don't look at it the way, same way you look at it. I think Harden has a locked in spot. That's just me personally. Twenty four and eleven. Like, I mean, Kyrie's numbers aren't better, and Jalen Brown's numbers aren't better. Are you talking about just in in the totality? Because how many points did Jalen Brown average? He's averaging twenty seven. And how or, many no, more twenty six? Re- how many more rebounds is he averaging to Harden? I, I'm pretty confident Harden's he's, only beating him. I'm pretty sure he's averaging six rebounds a game. I have to check. And, and I, I think he's Harden's averaging twenty seven. He's averaging twenty seven, six, and four. So he's Brown beating him in what rebounds and um, points, and probably is more efficient than Harden. Harden's averaging 24, 7, and twelve. Mm. So what are you talking about, man? Come on. And he's shooting forty six percent from the field and thirty nine percent from three. What is Jalen shooting? Brown has been more efficient. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's a. 50, Harden's 40, averaging more rebounds and way more assists. So I don't. That's why I think Harden for me is a lock, and I think a lot of people agree with Harden being a lock. Well, no, but I, that's what I'm saying for you. But I'm just. I, I thought we were discussing in general 
who we thought were going to be. I mean, I, I, we all agree, though. The front court for these lock. No, that's what I'm saying. For lock. me, personally, I think, and I think this is the consensus, but I think Curry, Mitchell, Kawhi, and Brown are the interchangeables amongst the players that should be starting. Or okay, not. so you pers- I personally feel like Curry is a lock, and you personally feel like Harden's a lock. I understand. Okay. Curry's not on Harden's level this year. Let's just be honest. Of what? <laughs> All right. Okay. We're yeah, not even going to yeah. go into the back and forth on that one. I mean, one's going to win the championship. One has not three. Win. Yeah, I know. Yeah, one's, okay. one's a loser. The other isn't. I get it. Yeah. So if you guys watch this segment, comment down your all-star starters for the Eastern Conference and the West. And do you think that James Harden is a lock to be in the starting lineup? Now we're going to go on to the next segment. The Philadelphia 76ers have been very impressive so far. And before we get on to the second subtopic of this topic, what do you think has been the key for their success? I'll start. I love the move that they went out and made for Seth Curry. I thought that it told, even though Seth Curry is not like a, a star player, he's such a good shooter. What he did for that lineup is is unbelievable. And then on top of that, Danny Green, who's not like Danny Green, just is, is like a better fit Josh Richardson for that team. Like I think those two moves were great moves for them. They brought in Dwight Howard to come in and be a backup five. He's done a good job for him. I thought that they had a great offseason, and especially the move to go get Seth Curry just totally changed the dynamic of that lineup, adding in a shooter like him, kind of playing the J.J. Redick role before J.J. Redick left. And if you remember how important J.J. Redick was to that team. And and then last year they struggled without a shooter like that. So bringing him back in brought back that same type of J.J. Redick feel to the offense. And obviously – We'll talk about it, but Joel Embiid has been incredible. This is the best that we've ever seen Joel Embiid play over a stretch of games this long. And for those two reasons, between a good offseason, helping the team fit and play style, and Joel Embiid playing so well, I feel like that combination has has been the difference maker. Obviously, Embiid is the main catalyst, but I think Doc Rivers deserves a lot of credit for this, putting in this new culture, and also Seth Curry, the improvement of Shake Millen has been very good for them. Danny Green's defense, and not to mention Tobias Harris. You know, he yeah. l- last year he was very inconsistent. People were talking about how he was a bad contract, and this year, putting up twenty points a game on 50, 46, 82 splits. That that efficiency we haven't seen from him since the Clippers days. And I know it's still early. You know, they're only nineteen games in, but this is the Tobias Harris they wanted to see. I know Ben Simmons has been slacking offensively, but he's still doing the other things he always do great. But this team has been rolling and it's fitting better for Embiid and where he can play at an MVP level. Yeah, and one thing on Tobias Harris, I think that with Ben Simmons numbers taking a hit, I think it has a lot to do with Tobias Harris embracing that number two scoring option role. I feel like he's really slid in comfortably into that role this year. And we haven't seen that from him in past seasons. There are a lot of players this year that are averaging that are have 40, 50, 40, 90 splits. Is that because there's no fans, possibly. <laughs> Is that the reason Jalen Brown's averaging those numbers? Possibly. Why do you just keep You know, but I, this is what I'm going to say. These are the two takeaways that I have for the Sixers when I watched them and what's been the main difference from last year. One is spacing. No doubt about it. You get Seth Curry, who Josh Richardson, he's a volume shooter. Seth Curry is a sharp shooter. He's, he's from that Curry breed, so you know he can stroke <laughs> it. So... Danny Green, he's yeah. <laughs> there too. He's a sharpshooter. Cork Maz. Tobias is a volume shooter. 
And Milton, he hasn't been that great, but you know he can shoot the ball. But this is what I attribute most of their success to, and I think this is a credit to Doc Rivers. They know their strengths, and they know their weaknesses. It's as simple as that. Kind of like Floyd Mayweather. He's not going out trying to knock out, punch somebody. He's a defensive fighter. This, that's what the Sixers are. They're, they know their strengths. They're not going to try to score the most points every game. They're going to defend, and they're going to pick their spots. Right now, the Sixers are 15th in the, in, in the NBA in three-point percentage, shooting it at 36%. They only take, they're 23rd in attempts per game. So they're one of the bottom, they're in the bottom of the league in terms of attempting threes because they know they're not that excellent in that. Maybe the Rockets should have took a page out of their playbook because they took a ton of threes even though they weren't good at it last year. They're second in the NBA in free throw attempts and fourth in makes because they're feeding it to Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid gets fouled. So they're taking it to the basket more and they're not settling for jump shots. They know what their strengths are and they know what their weaknesses are. And they're a great defensive team. They're fourth in the NBA in opponent field goal percentage. So they're playing like a grit and grind style of basketball, even though they're a fast-tempo team. They know what they're good at. And also, I would say Joel Embiid is embracing that role of being an elite big man more than I think he ever has. Like, he is really getting in the post, not even getting into the post, but the mid-range as well. I feel like he has been so in love with stepping out and taking the three ball. And while he can do that, at a pretty elite level for a big man, he's he's at his deadliest when he's on, you know, the mid range and that block, especially the left block. He's been so efficient there this year, shooting seventy percent from the left block, which is one of the best marks in the NBA. That doesn't even take into account all the fouls he draws from there with the rip throughs, and he's also been a better percentage wise shooter in the mid range by eight percentage points than yeah, Kevin Durant ball. this year. So the three balls at this too. point in the season. Is Joel Embiid your MVP? 100%. I think he's the, he right now is the MVP. Like People are going to have a vote for LeBron, Nikola Jokic, but I think this guy should be the MVP right now. Now, for Philly, it's it's going to be tough for them because they have the Doc Rivers, and he has a curse on him. He, in the playoffs, it's going to be tricky, and this team tends to overexceed and disappoint us, but right now they look good, and they look like they're on a tear, and Embiid looks like, what we should have seen from years ago that he is the most dominant big in the league. I think that game against the Lakers was the front runner for the MVP game. If the Lakers and LeBron won, it was going to be LeBron. But the Sixers won, and Bede had a great game, even though Tobias had that game winner. So that's why I'm putting in Bede over LeBron right now. I think he's number one. He's averaging 28, 11, three assists, a block, and a steal. He's shooting 40% from three, and I know he's not taking as much as he used to, but that's still it's a better. tremendous feat. And I don't know what it is, he but takes this when he can. I don't know what it is, but this year, NBA players, their percentages are on steroids. Everybody is shooting the heck out of the ball. Like I don't know what it is. A lot of players that should not be in that club are in that club. Like Caruso leads the league in three point percentage right now. That was like the most mind boggling thing I heard it, all it, day. It could be because of the crowds. As for the MVP, I would say Wait, I said Caruso, right? I think yeah. you did. Okay. As for the, is he really though? Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah. It's crazy. As for the MVP discussion, I would say it's either between him or LeBron right now. I think those are the two consensus guys, and then people will throw Jokic in there. But I would say, just because of their early struggles, how they were slow out of the gate, he would be one step behind. But I would have Embiid at number one right now, my proverbial MVP ladder, just because the impact he's had on that team. When he plays, they're twelve and two. When he doesn't play, they're zero and four. When he plays, 
they're, or when he's on the court, I should say, they're plus 12 points per 100. And when he doesn't, when he's off the floor, they're minus 10.2 points per 100 possessions. So the impact he has on them is immense, bigger than anybody in the league right now. And to me, that is the definition of the MVP. Yeah, he's led him to the best team in the league right I'm now. I'm happy so. to see it, man. Right now, Alex Caruso is shooting 56% from three. How many attempts? Probably, I don't, think, I don't think I don't think more than two or three. Yeah, yeah it, it's on a low volume. And He's taking two point four again. Weak sauce, but he hits them when they need it. He I, hits them. When they I need will it. say he started off as like a meme, but he really no, has turned a into a pretty. Yeah, he, crucial he was a funny meme though. He was always a good player, bro. He's turned into a crucial role player. He was really good team. at college at Texas a and Yeah, they was tough. Talking about the Sixers and beat is playing phenomenal. We made a video. I think last week about Ben Simmons and his passiveness. He got up for and that if game. He's, yes. And that's what I'm saying. The Simmons that showed up against the Lakers, that's what everybody wants to see from Simmons on a consistent basis. He started out the game with six or eight straight points. Mm-hmm. He got up He for was that going one. after it. He was doing his thing. I think he slowed down a little bit in the second he and third quarter. But he was doing his thing. I think he finished with 18, 9, and 11, somewhere around there. That's the Ben Simmons that I want to see. I don't want to see 12 points per game Ben Simmons. <laughs> right now, he's only attempting nine shots a game, though. So I don't know if you'll get there. But do you think that's more of the weapons they brought in, like the shooters and the way they're playing, or just him? No, that's definitely the weapons they brought in, but I don't think that – because this thing, Seth Curry is – you can run him off screens. He's a spot-up shooter. He can create his own shot at times as well. But Josh Richardson last year was more of an isolation scorer. So – Josh Richardson was going to take more shots. He was going to have the ball. He was going to dominate the ball more. Ben Simmons dominates the ball a lot this year, more than he did last year. And because of that, I think he should be aggressive. Nobody's sagging off of Seth Curry that often. And nobody's going to do that for Danny Green or Tobias anytime soon. So Ben Simmons has to be aggressive. I get that he's a very unselfish player, but sometimes he just has to look to take over. I would say I don't mind the passiveness as long as they are playing this good of basketball. And Tobias Harris is playing as well as he's playing, and their shooters are shooting as well as they're shooting. And adjustments will come, and at that point, he needs to change how he's playing because at some point during the season, he's going to have to step up and be that aggressive guy. But right now, the way they're playing, I really don't mind the passiveness. I think it's almost helping them in a way in certain games, and obviously sometimes it hurts them, and he needs to you know, kind of like the the conversation we've been having with James Harden. He needs to know when he has to turn it on and turn it off and when he has to change his play style. But I think there are times when this passiveness is great for the 76ers. I agree with that as well. So we can all agree that we all have Joel Embiid as the front runner for the MVP right now. Which is crazy because it's been almost two decades since a big man won the MVP. Who was, who was the last big to win Dirk? the MVP? When Dirk won in 2007, yeah. right? I think that was the last guy. Yeah, I think. Probably was Dirk. I would cast on him as a big man. Garnett won it too. And that, I that think like was, a decade. A yeah. decade, you could say. About a decade. a decade, decade and a half. Yeah. yeah. It was Which Dirk. is crazy. Yeah, damn. 2007, wow. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, there is there is really not been a... only two point guards have won the award. There has not been a true dominant big man since that time until like... Just the past Embiid couple of years, to be that guy. just in these past couple of years, the NBA has revitalized like 
they that position has been revitalized. Yeah. But in 2015, the best big man in the league was DeMarcus Cousins, and he couldn't play defense. It's pretty crazy when you look at it, He though, was basically what Carl Anthony Towns is now. When you look back at the time that Garnett won the award in 2004, prior to that leading up, or in, in between that and the years that Jordan winning was winning, before. it was Tim Duncan twice, yeah. then Iverson, but O'Neal, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan once, Malone, Michael Barkley. Jordan again, Robinson, Olajuwon, Barkley. So it was all big, big men big for man like league. a decade before. And then there was Steve Nash twice, Nowitzki, and then it turned into guards and forwards. And now maybe we get our first big man again since 2007. I just checked my phone. I try to hold back this excitement. But the Jets just traded for Deshaun Watson. Really? Are you dead serious? <laughs> no. Oh. Why would you even say that? <laughs> Yo, I was, about, I was about to check the phone like, no way. That's been dope. <laughs> no, nah, I'm playing. So, okay, we're going to go on to That's the so next topic. Up. I'm not going to really needed. You guys needed that. That juice in your blood. So, the Miami Heat. They suck. A lot of people, especially Heat fans, they want the Miami Heat to trade for Bradley Beal. I made a video, the, I think, yesterday that I think Bradley Beal is a bit overrated. In terms of, I don't think that he's a superstar. I know that Riv doesn't think he's a superstar. Jack, do you think that he's a superstar? Bradley Beal? Yes. I think he would be on that. I think he's a star. I think he's more of a star than a superstar. Yesterday, we named about 20 players that we would take over Bradley Beal. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in our group chat, we named about 20 players that we would take over Bradley Beal. We might have named 25. So I think this I think is a star. I think this is a, a nice argument. Should the Miami Heat trade for Bradley Beal or Victor Oladipo? If you were the GM, if you were Pat Riley, who are you trading for? Can I? Do I have to trade for either of them? <laughs> yes, it's between one of those two because that's those are the two names that are floating around. My my, city. my, my thing is like, and I'm going to answer the question. I just want to say, Zach Levine is cheaper than both guys. I don't th- I don't think he's cheaper than um. He's not. He's oh, in terms the, of what no, you in can terms of a contract in terms of contract. Oh, I'm thinking in terms of like. No, he's better than all the people. He's definitely he's better than all the people. He's definitely cheaper than Beal. Yeah, he's, cheaper than, he's probably in between, but I'm saying in terms of money wise, like you can well, get, you could, you is could gonna fix be it. a free agent. Yeah, so like he's more of a rental. Um I think they need more than Oladipo, though. I think they need more than Beal regardless. But I think Miami the Miami Heat feel like Jimmy Butler's is a superstar. And I think they feel like pairing him with another star. I think Bam is coming. I think he's already here, but I think he's really on the cusp of being that guy. I think Bradley Beal would give them a three man tandem that I think would be good. I think the only problem I will have is probably what every Nets fan had with Harden, except Harden's a superstar. How much are you giving up for Bradley Beal? And and let me add to that. Harden is a multifaceted player. I don't think Bradley Beal can do yeah. what James Harden is doing. I was arguing with somebody in Joel Pete. Somebody said Bradley Beal can score like James Harden. And I was just like... Bradley Beal is a great scorer, but he's not an elite or even great playmaker. I don't think he makes his teammates better and... He's a horrible defender. Yeah. He was voted the worst shooting guard, the worst defender at the shooting guard position last season. The Wizards were 11 points worse on defense when Bradley Beal was on the floor last season. So he's not this, good defensively. This is this, this what I'm going to say. I know Bradley Beal is averaging 35 points per game. That's all cool and stuff. Five rebounds, five <laughs> assists. He, his his uh, efficiency is really good, 37% from three, 48% from the field. Victor Oladipo is averaging 20, four rebounds, five assists, 41%, and 34% from three. 
Victor Oladipo was averaging 20 with two other 20-point scores in Brogdon and Sabonis when he was in Indiana. And in Houston, he's been averaging around 22 points per game. So in terms of fit, I think that Oladipo can fit better with the Heat. And this is a guy that was a first-team all-defender. So he can defend his butt off. And I think that's what you need. And when you mentioned Zach Levine, I think you are going to have to trade pretty much the same or a little bit less the amount of assets for Zach Levine that you would for Beal, if we're being honest. But, I, but I'm saying, like, in terms of, like, okay, so, like, you're looking at the Miami Heat, right, as a team, I'm thinking you have to give up more players to fit Bradley Beal in the sense where you can just give up two players and whatever to fit Zach no, Levine. I'm saying this, though. Would the Bulls accept a Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson trade straight up for Levine? No. We need, we won't, we you, would, one you would need a lot of picks, But I'm too. saying... With, Same with, thing for Beal. No, Beal, you would need more. He's due for 35 mil. Zach well, you would, just have to, you would just have to put a filler. Yeah. But even their... The problem but with even the with heat, Duncan and... Sorry to cut you off, but even with Duncan and Hero, you need more players to fill up that contract. Yeah. Because Hero and Duncan aren't getting paid. The problem with the Heat is even their contract fillers are... Good impactful players. players yeah, on that's the team. that's like their role. Like players. people want to throw Iguodala into any deal just to match salaries. Andre Iguodala has been a super important player for them, Kelly not only Olenek last year but this year. Oh, I know that, but I'm also going to say this about Iguodala. He's <laughs> he's a stand up guy. He's not going to go anywhere. And it, it, you he did it to the Grizzlies. Yes, he's not, so he's going to sit out until he I mean, goes that has to nothing the team to do with Miami. He, they can trade him. And he just will. He literally yeah. did it to the Grizzlies. And, and, and if the team knows that they're not going to trade for Iguodala, Iguodala will not. Play a minute for the Wizards if he's right. Yeah, so it makes it it makes it very tough to match salaries, especially with a guy like Bradley Beal who just got a massive extension. You know, call me crazy, but I think that I think that the Heat could trade Kendrick Nunn and Olenek and some picks for Victor Oladipo and keep Harrow. You know, yes, and I think they can keep Harrow and Duncan. I think judging off what Houston has been, the way they lost Levert and how they handled that Harden deal, I think they can definitely steal Oladipo for Nunn. And just another player. That would not be a bad deal. But here, here's my thing. How much like, better does Oladipo make them, though? I think they make them as good as they would have been with Beal. And you would have kept Harrow and Duncan. Agreed. I'll, I'll counter with this, though. The reason I said at the beginning of the segment, do I have to trade for either of them? I think that Oladipo would be a better fit. But I don't think he makes them a championship or even probably Eastern Conference Finals contender this year. No, I think he does. Maybe maybe go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think they win the Eastern Conference. No, I don't with him or without because him. of the Nets. And they don't have to run into the Nets to uh make the East. No, no, I'm saying like he said to win the Eastern Conference. Oh, That's oh. because of the Nets, but in, they can beat Milwaukee, they can beat the Celtics, they can beat the Philly, they can beat every team outside of the Nets if the Nets get I don't think, I don't think they can beat Boston right now with this if they get J- with this new Jalen Brown. I don't think they can beat Boston right now with this new Jalen Brown. It, I don't know. I, I, I'm just saying. Miami hasn't been healthy all year. That is also if, true. If they've you been could, healthy, been you could get, Vic, and I get it, like this is an unpopular opinion because you don't want to waste time, but you could get Victor Oladipo for no assets this offseason if you're that confident that he wants to be in Miami. No, yeah, that, that's what I'm back. saying. So the question is, would you rather get Bradley Beal or Victor Oladipo? I... If, if we were talking about what player do I want to bring in right now, I think Victor Oladipo because, one, he's a better fit, and, two, he would cost less asset-wise. Who yeah, would you bring in? I think giving up Harrow would be a bad move for Bradley Beal because I feel like we know what he's going to be. I think, in a sense, give, uh, yeah, and, I would have to go to Oladipo. And considering a Bradley Beal deal, you would have to give up Hero and more. Hero, like Oladipo. You would have to give he up probably, 
Robinson, Olenek, and Picks, and that's three major role players. Like, three guys who are playing a very big role on your team right now. It's ridiculous, a timeline of Heat fans on Twitter. They think first, they can get everybody. First, they didn't. They, first, they were not on board with trailing, trading Tyler Hill for James Harden. Then Giannis. Now they're on board for trading Tyler Hill for Bradley Beal. It's, it's so ridiculous. And, and the fact of the matter is it's not going to happen because they weren't going to give up Hero for James Harden. They're not going to do oh, it they for Bradley Beal. They were. Houston just declined it. <laughs> really? Houston declined a lot of well. Houston no, declined, yeah, Houston declined. That Houston trade. declined oh, a it great. It was Bam. It was Bam. That's Houston. Bad. Houston declined a great. Yeah, Bam is untouchable. Houston declined a great trade from Philly because they wanted to do right by James Harden and send him to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's really why he got sent to Brooklyn. If if they were not on the same page, Houston would have sent him to Miami or Philly, possibly Philly. Probably Philly. But James wanted to go to Brooklyn. Like he wanted to go there, and they worked with him to get him there. So shout out to them because nice and shit. <laughs> But th- that's what I'm saying. You know, I would go Victor Oladipo because, like you said, you, you don't have to trade much for him if you decide to trade for him, and you can get him in the offseason, and he has said that he wants to be in Miami. Yeah, I, I think it's sad that Bradley Bill, you know, the stuff he's – I mean, he chose this route, so I don't feel too bad. He chose to be here. He felt like he could win here. I don't know why he felt that way, but this is – John Wall was healthy. Yeah, I don't think he they planned – They were bad, though. I don't think he planned on them trading John Wall, which – I personally believe made a big difference because now you see what Westbrook. Well, no, he signed the extension when John Wall was hurt. But Mm. with the thought that John Wall was going to come back and having John Wall the way that it was a bet on John Wall's health, but the way John Wall has been playing in Houston without Harden, he looks, you know, not the same guy, but he looks pretty solid and he definitely looks better than Westbrook's been. I'm going to be honest. He did not stay because John Wall and nothing like that. He stayed because there was a lot of money on the table and he was not refusing it. He pulled the mellow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he thought of, man, but I want to play with John Wall. This song signing this no, thing. But I don't think he thought it was going to get this bad. He definitely came out and did say, though, me and John Wall worked it out and we decided we we're going to stay and I mean, to make I, a I, run. But I, I think nobody thinks it's going to get that bad when they're with the team um, if they think they're a really great player. You know what I'm saying? Like, Bradley Beal's a great player, but he probably thought he was, he was great enough for it not to get to this point. I think he's waiting for more money. I I I would like to see him get out of there. I mean, me too. I mean, it's I not good for good, it's not good for team. either Where's side. Pro, I mean, one the of the Warriors. situations is Miami. Don't bring no no. Yeah, I don't think don't bring him here. They um, could. They're talking about the Mavs. They're talking the Mavs about the Mavs. Would be a bad fit. Add another score. But, but the defense, like, he's one so of their biggest bad defense. Yeah, one of their biggest problems this offseason was bringing in another defensive guard, which is why they Does went out. Does Bradley Bill's offense equate for how bad he is defensively? Not for a team like the Mavericks. Like on a contending team. It depends on the personnel. If you put him in Utah, I think they're fine. Like if you swap Beal and Mitchell and you put him in Utah, mm-hmm. with, I think with he'll a be fine. Good defenders he be all as, around him. Okay, so, okay. But what situation is there that you could slide him in like that? There's really not many that I can think of. Mm. Miami is the, the Dallas most Mavericks are in a bad situation for that, but be like if you were just to place Beal in with the Mavericks, but if you were to have to trade Finney Smith, yeah. Kleba, all their best defenders, Josh Richardson, then yeah, it's not going to work. But with that roster, if you just plug Beal in there, they'll they'll be good defensively still. That's just my opinion. So to finish off this segment, you would rather get Beal or Oladipo? Oladipo. 
You are going with Oladipo? Oladipo, but neither because you can get him this offseason for nothing. Hey, I will go with Oladipo, too. I think Oladipo is a really slept-on player, and he's finally starting to get healthy. So I think they should go with Oladipo if they decide to go with one of them. But all respect to Bradley Beal because he's a phenomenal player. Yeah, He's just player. not a Free superstar. It's not that you should trade all the assets for. He's a star. It's not many superstars in the league, exactly. so, you know, it's not – Nothing wrong with that. I don't even. I don't even know that there's ten superstars in the I league. I think there's ten, but it's tiers, like tier one, tier Agreed. two. Depends on how you classify, it, but I don't think in any classification. Like I wouldn't put. I would say Dame's a superstar, you, but I wouldn't put him in the top. You tier would have guys. to be incredibly friendly to consider Bradley Beal a superstar. He did. At one he's point. like twenty to twenty-five. He did, did at one point. Yeah, I said he's a superstar because he's a superstar <laughs> scorer. That's what I meant. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. yeah. If you're just if if it was a one-on-one competition, maybe, but. <laughs> You got to factor everything. This is a player that is emerging into becoming a star slash superstar player maybe one day. I know Raven Jack are much higher on his ceiling than I am, but that's Jalen Brown. Every year since 2018, he has upped his scoring average by seven points. In 2018, he averaged 13. In 2019, he averaged 20. And now this year, he's averaging 27 points per game. He's playing really well. He's shooting 52% from the field, 44% from three. His efficiency is off the roof. So what do you think is the reason why Jalen Brown has taken such such big of a leap? I mean, one, he's just an incredibly hard worker, and I think we've seen that throughout his career. I used to be a huge doubter of him when he got that essentially max extension from the Celtics. I clowned them for it. Because he did nothing to deserve it up to that point, but they saw something that none of us possibly could, and he came in the next season, and he was one of the most improved players in the league last year. And then this season, he's come and take a, not the same jump, but at least a similar jump into, you know, you could argue that he's become a star, depending on whatever. But it also helps Jason Tatum has been out for five games, I believe, which has been pretty much a third of the season to this point. So he's had to carry that load. Kemba Walker has been out pretty much the whole season up until like last week. So he's really had to shoulder the load. It's given him more attempts and opportunity to step into that role. But you just got to give credit to him for being that dude going to work this offseason and just improving as a player. I mean, his efficiency is through the roof and he's still putting up the numbers. He's putting up better numbers than he was last year on better efficiency. So... It's a lot of credit to him. And he's still a top-tier defender at the guard position in the league, I would say. You you be hating on Jalen Brown. I don't know why you be hating on him. But, um, I just <laughs> said if it was to get James Harden, I'd do it. I'll trade him. No, I, That's I, just I, I remember I, I was talking about how he was balling. He was like, yeah, it won't last. The efficiency won't last. That was like two weeks ago. He's we'll still, see at the end of the season yeah. if he's I mean, shooting I, no, 44% he's not from gonna, three. I don't think because he takes 14 attempts. That's ridiculous. But He doesn't say 14 attempts from three. No, he really does. Oh, he no, I'm sorry. Six, sorry. I'm looking yeah. at two points. I'm like, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> that would have been wild. Um, No, yeah, hard worker. I think last year when Kemba went down and we saw Jason Tatum kind of step into that superstar role, I'm not saying Jalen Brown's going to be, but I think he's kind of stepping into that star role where he start, you're starting to see more of his game. You can tell he's worked on his ISO game, he worked on his one-on-one game. His efficiency has improved from all aspects. His field goal attempts have improved. He's starting to take 20 field goals every game. So that's something you see his minutes are staying the same. So he's just become a more efficient 
deadlier scorer. The defense is still there. He's still one of their best wing defenders on the team. And I think I think this is going to be good for Boston because now you have that two-wing tandem. And, and it's going to be scary for Kemba Walker because you've seen Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker. I mean, I'm sorry. You've seen Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Tatum, and they looked really well together. And then Kemba came back, you know, the first game. They got blown out by the Knicks. Granted, Tatum wasn't playing, but a blown out nonetheless. And I think this is going to do bad for Kemba in the long run. But other than that, Jalen Brown, I think, Improving that jump shot was something he had to work on. I think get, getting that was definitely the reason why he improved so much. Especially the mid-range. His mid-range game has improved exponentially, and it's it's oh. opened up so many different things for him. Let's see what Hater guy has to say. Look, Jalen Brown was phenomenal this season. Uh-huh. I'm not taking anything away from him. He's one of the better two-way players in the league. But And you're telling me that I'm hating on Jalen Brown. I, I have him as an all-star starter. Mm-hmm. I'm not hating on Jalen Brown. Do I think that this efficiency will last? I don't. Do I think that if the Celtics had the chance to trade Jalen Brown for James Harden, they should have? Yes, I do think so. But I will also say that Jalen Brown is emerging into one of the better players and a star player in the NBA to the point that I classify him as a top 22 player now. And I think right now, even though Jason Tatum, he has the reputation that he's better than Jalen Brown, I would care to make the argument that Jalen Brown is on the same level and there are nights where he looks better than Jason Tatum. He's taking less shots per game than Tatum and averaging more points. And when Boston plays good teams or whatever team they play, who's the guy they put on the number one option? Jalen Brown. That's Jalen Brown. It's it's not Jason Tatum. So Jalen Brown is doing what he has to do offensively and he's playing his butt off defensively and... Yesterday, Kemba, Tatum, they were all there for Boston against the Spurs. Brown had 30. You know, so he's scoring. And that, that's why I think I think a better question now is, do you think he's better than Jason Tatum now? I was always under the impression, I used to tell people, and people used to look at me like I was still, I always thought Tatum wasn't that much better than Jalen Brown. I thought the defense was always what kept Jalen Brown in the, in the hunt because defensively, I think his versatility is better. And he's just a better defender than Jason Tatum. But I think right now you're starting to see that Jalen Brown's getting that scoring going. So now you got a guy who can guard your best player and score with your best player. I don't think Tatum is ever going to reach that guard your best player thing. I think he's going to be able to score with your best player. But I think what the difference is is Jason Tatum is more of a tough shot maker. I think that's why people gravitated to him more. But I think it's definitely close. I will still have the nod over Jason Tatum. And correction, he scored 24 against the Spurs, not 30. He scored 33 against the Cavs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he had 24 against the Spurs, though. But yeah, I think I think it's close. I would still have Tatum to Nodge, but like I tell people all the time, it's closer than what Tatum fans like to make it seem. Like, I think it's really close. I think this season, if we're speaking this season alone, Jalen Brown has been the better player. Again, it helps that Tatum has, it helps his case that Tatum has missed five games and Jalen Brown really had to carry the load and did it very well. I've always been under the opinion that Jason Tatum had a higher ceiling. But the more I watch them, like I start to, I still think he does, but I start to question it because look at how much Jalen Brown has improved year by year. And I know like he's getting to the ceiling, but where is that going to be? Because he improved by seven points a game, two rebounds, two assists last year. Now he's improved by three points a game, a uh, half a rebound and an assist. So like, and his efficiency has improved with that. So I have not seen 
and the defense Such doesn't drop exponential jumps out of Jason Tatum when that's kind of what I expected. Like, I expected Jason Tatum to be improving at the rate that Jalen Brown has. I mean, I'll be honest. I did not expect Jalen Brown to shoot 44% from three. And even last year, he shot 38. 38% from three. So he can shoot. I did not think he was going to be that type of shooter. I thought he was going to be a career like 34 to 32% slash shooter. Type. Yeah, yes. he looks like that type. But he's hitting his shots, and if he's hitting his shots, the sky's the limit. I think he still has to improve as a finisher. Free throws, too. Because he does miss some easy looks. But that's all he really has to improve on. His handles have gotten tighter. He's he's been he's improved a lot since where he once was from. You know, now, I just I think it's much closer too. Yeah, I, I think Boston. You know, I've, I've watched a few Boston games where you know Jalen Brown's the one going off for of 35, 40, and Tatum has like eighteen, but they still give Tatum the ball in the ending. And I think that's what they they feel as though Tatum is the their closer, their finisher. But I think ultimately, I I just hope this doesn't break these two apart because I think Boston has a bright future with these two guys. I hope they don't butt heads and the egos get involved. But like you said, he just has to get better a little bit as a finisher. The free throws got to improve. You know, he's shooting 77%. That has to get better. But other than that, you know, he's still a top-level defender in this league. So I really don't – the sky – for Jalen Brown, the sky is the limit. But Tatum, the sky is also the limit for him too. So that's going to be good for them. You know what's pretty crazy? I I came across this when I was researching this point. And it's from a Boston radio station website. On attempts while driving, last year Jalen Brown averaged 5.3 points per game on 48.8%. And Jason Tatum averaged 7.9 points per game on 46.6 attempt per attempt, or 46.6%. Now this year, Jalen Brown is up to 7 points per game on 57.5%. And Jason Tatum is at seven point six at forty five point six percent. So Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown has taken a huge leap in that category, where Jason Tatum's kind of been that same guy. And I, I feel like I'm just waiting for Jason Tatum to make that leap to, maybe not superstardom, but like borderline. I mean, I think we are waiting for him to make. That oh yeah, leap I think superstar. we're at that point where we're waiting for the superstar leap. And he just hasn't done that yet. And I still think he has that potential, and I know he's young, but eventually he's got to do it. Yeah, it, and Jalen Brown is doing it. They're both young. I mean, it is early in the season. I think, playoff time, the season. I think playoff time will really tell us what. I mean, I think it's a good problem to have that yeah. your best two players are pretty much equal to each other. But, I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that is a good question that there's not a definitive answer to right now. Who are you giving the ball to at the end of the game? Tatum. Tatum. Yeah, I'm not thinking about that much. Honestly. Brad Stevens you know, thinks the same. He gave thing. it to Kemba, the against the Spurs. Well, against the I, the first game of the season, they kind of answered that question, giving it to Jason Tatum in an isolation against first Chris Middleton, and they got him a switch onto Giannis, which to me is still an that was incredibly a hard difficult. That was matchup. a hard shot. That was so I feel for me that was Brad Stevens kind of saying to Jason. Well, I'm saying Tatum, like, like against the Spurs, he said everybody was playing. He gave the ball to Kemba and. Crazy stole the me. ball from Kemba. Crazy I thought one of the other two were going to get the ball. but I love Kemba, but I don't like his fit in Boston. I mean, I don't know yet. I, I, guess think, they're, I think they're better with Marcus Smart starting at the one. With I Jaylen don't really Brown, think so. Jason that's three all-level defenders at the I mean, one, I two, think, three. I think those are great defenders. I think they're better with that lineup closing, but I think Kemba is a great player. He has to get healthy. You know, He's coming back from an injury, and they fit p- together perfectly last year. You know, so 
He kind of flopped in the playoffs, though. Yeah, that's the only thing about him. He was dealing with an injury. Yeah. I think Kemba's a point guard. Marcus Smart is more of a two that can handle he the ball. He be doing a lot of dumb stuff. I mean, he he's just as he's Marcus Smart is just as aggressive on the offensive end at times as a lot of these guys. He's not a guy that looks to facilitate and get others involved. Mm-hmm. I think Kemba's a little bit in the middle, and that's why I think he should start at point guard. And I don't think they're better with Marcus Smart starting. You're better with Marcus Smart off the bench. Depending on the package that they could get in return for Kemba Walker, I think they could be a better team. You would trade Kemba? Without him. I think that they could become a better team trading Kemba Ooh. Walker. Thinking I, about I the disagree. money that he's making. Uh, yeah. They can get a big man to shore up down low. Who will trade that for Kemba? That's the, the real question. I don't think so. I don't think they get better with Kemba. I don't think they get better by trading Kemba because I don't think you get a player as good don't as Kemba. Don't they still have that 18 mil in trade, a trade. They do. I think they should get Drummond still. Based on what we've seen, how he played now, definitely think they should get Drummond. I mean, the Nets hopefully get him. <laughs> you guys are stacking the deck. You guys suck. Hey, who cares? <laughs> Losers, man. So I just checked um, Robinhood. And I don't know if you guys heard, but yeah. they shut down GameStop stocks. Yeah, I heard it. They bought um, and AMC and Nokia. So basically that happened because um, people were buying it. And when people buy the stocks, like a ton of people buy the stocks, the price of it, of course, goes up. And billionaires are losing a lot of money because of it. Like hedge fund people are losing a lot of money because of that. And so Robinhood canceled all purchase of the stock you can only you can only sell it now you can't buy more because their hedge fund people are getting tight and they're losing a lot of money and now a lot of people on the internet are going to this new stock called dodgecoin because it's like worth it was worth two cents it's worth two cents you can buy it for two cents i bought 49 dollars of dodgecoin that's like 2,000 shares. I bought 2,000 shares of Dodgecoin, like 2,100 shares. My $49 right now is at $99. It went from $0.02 cents to $0.04. Cents. Lit. Like the, I'm telling you, the internet is trying to make this a trend. I'll probably like give it like a day or two, and they're going to shut down pur- purchasing Dodgecoin too. He spoke today too on the news. The, the, the creator, the owner, whatever it is of um, – Whatever, Robin Hood. Robin Hood. He spoke on the news before I left. I was listening to some of it. It's a messed up situation. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous because it's it should be a free trading app. You can't, you know, just... It's literally called the free market. Yeah. The, the oh. people at the top are literally trying to manipulate the market so people on the bottom are not buying these stocks. But, you know, I'm going to take advantage of the situation <laughs> while I can. If you, bro, if you would have bought GameStop when it was at $5, if you would have bought like 100 shares or I think like somewhere near 1,000 shares... GameStop at one point went from five dollars to like four hundred ninety five. There, the, you the first, made so much. Money. The first people who were in on it made millions of dollars in one day. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I wish I can go back in time. <laughs> I would literally go buy. Matt if you did that session. to AMC too, you could have like GameStop went from four hundred ninety five dollars to now it's at like two hundred. Why cut did in they half. um buy Game uh, AMC though? Because when a bunch of people are buying stocks at one time, the price of the stock goes up. You know, because these hedge fund people make the stock that low. But if you buy a ton of it and a bunch of people are buying the stock, then now the company increases in value. So basically, these people on Reddit set it up that way that they were just going to go and all buy a a, a bunch of GameStop stocks. Mm-hmm. So it would be worth so much to where now these hedge fund people have to buy it. So AMC is owned by GameStop now? No. 
No. Oh. No, they're no. two different companies, bro. It it it's called shorting. So oh, like okay, okay. these big yes. time like hedge hedge fund people, they'll short these stocks by buying them and then like so it, it's hard to explain in yeah, layman's terms. Yeah, because I'm not I'm not a financial person, yeah. and I don't know Jack if you. No, I took a class stuff. about this, and I remember sitting there looking at my teacher the way I just looked at you guys. I didn't know what he was talking. So they, about. so these hedge fund, I, I could be totally wrong on this, but the way I understand it, these hedge fund guys don't actually have the stocks. They take the stocks, mm-hmm. and they don't actually have them, so they have to buy them back at some point, expecting the stock to go lower, and they could buy them back lower and make a profit. But since the stock is up $400 now, they have to buy it at $400 to get the stock back. And they lost all that money. World's cold, no? This is why this is a sports show. <laughs> I, yeah, I could explain it to you better after. No, nah, it's cool. But you even you just that. search it up. Nah, now we're going to go on to our that. next topic. DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon are playing exceptionally for the Indiana Pacers right now. We know that the All-Star starters... Voting has now happened. We don't know when the reserves voting is going to be, but do you guys believe that DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon both, not just one, both, should make the all-star team? I'll start with you, Riv. Um, I think Sabonis definitely. I think they deserve to get in, but I think just off the simple fact of the fans getting 50%, I think the way they – the way, where they play – Well, the reserves uh, is coaches voting. Oh, okay, so – but I think – even coaches, you know, they play in Indiana. I think it's going to be hard for them to truly get in. I I can't name it's seven players on the bench, and it's just whatever position, right? Guards and some front court players. Yeah, I think it's I think it it's seven players on the bench. So it's, it might I be four. It might be four guards and three forwards or front court. Players. I think it's the other way around. Mm. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't who know. I don't even know if there is a limit on. Yeah. Well, position. I think I definitely think Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon deserve to get in. If you look at their numbers, both of them are putting up 20 points a game. You see Sabonis, he's improved in every facet of his game. Same with Brogdon. I mean, Brogdon was playing like this earlier in the year last year. He was averaging a double double. But you can see that it, this is probably going to continue longer in the season. So I think both of them definitely deserve to get in. But in the East, it's going to be really hard, especially for Brogdon. I mean, listen, Malcolm Brogdon right now, right now is averaging 23-7, and seven, shooting 41% from the three and 46% from the field. Sabonis is averaging 20-12 and 12 and six assists, 55% from the field and 37% from three. The East starting five to me is Harden, Jalen Brown, KD, Giannis, and Embiid. I don't think Sabonis gets over KD, Giannis, or Embiid. And Brogdon has a case to be the point, the starting point guard of the East, but I don't think he'll get there because of fan voting. I think it will be Harden or Brown and Harden or Harden and Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And for me, when you look at the guards right now that are in the all-star voting, you have Colin Sexton, you know, him and Brogdon. Are you going to put Brogdon over Colin Sexton? Colin Sexton's averaging 25 points per game, and Cleveland is winning. You got Kyrie. You got Trey Young, Bradley Beal, and Levine. For me, I put Malcolm Brogdon over Levine, Bradley Beal, and Trey and Sexton are a toss-up for me. I think if winning ultimately is the end goal, I think Brogdon will have to go ahead of all of them, except maybe Sexton. Or Kyrie. Well, I thought Kyrie. I would just – Kyrie's going to get in in front of him. I think his numbers speak for that. But I think the rest of the guys, you kind of make a case. I know Zach's team isn't the best. 
Bradley Beal, they're at the bottom of the league, but he's putting up 35, so he might just get in off that. Trey Young and Colin Sexton are the two guys that's kind of watering in the, in the East. I think Brogdon's probably should get in over them with Sabonis, though. Luckily, Tatum's been out, so he's you know he's been out a couple games. Jimmy Butler's Bam been out. Bam out of bio, the Heat are 13th in the East. Nikola Vucevic, Chris Middleton, Tobias, Andre Drummond. Like these front court front court players. Over a few of them guys. Front court players, you have Jason Tatum, Bam, Julius Randle, Nikola Vucevic, Chris Middleton, Tobias, Andre Drummond. I think Sabonis gets in over Drummond. Uh possibly even Tobias too. Middleton, Nikola. Middleton, I think him is like they're like And I think he's been playing better than Julius Randle and they've been winning more. And over Bam. So for me, I'd put Jason Tatum, Sabonis, and possibly Tobias because of the winning. I think that I think Sabonis is definitely going to make it. I think the year that he's having, the way the Pacers have been playing, and the fact that the forward spot is weaker, I think he's a lock to make it. I don't know if I would say lock, but I would feel pretty confident saying he's going to make it. Brogdon, although he's playing oh at God. an all-star level. Jeremy Grant. But they're, on, they're losing. Yeah, but his numbers, whew. That's going to be another one. Damn, man. Although he's playing at an all-star level, I don't think Malcolm Brogdon's going to make it. Just because even with coaches voting, name recognition still matters, and it still affects people. Just because when you get to that level in the NBA, you get that benefit of the doubt no matter what. 100%. And, like, you're talking Harden, Irving, Brown, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, all guys that are in that conversation. Colin Sexton, another one. All for five spots, six spots for guards. So I think it'll be much tougher for Brogdon to make it just because the position is so much more difficult. They're both playing at an all-star level, but like we said before, this is an unprecedented year. There are so many guys playing at an all-star level. It's going to be tough for him to make it with that competition. And like you said, Beal and Levine, they're losing, right? Even though the Bulls are ninth or 10th seed right now. I think, yeah, they're 10th. But the Hawks and Cavs, the Cavs are six and the, the Hawks are seventh seed. So they're in that playoff mix too. And Trey Young and Colin Sexton are playing really well right now. That's why I think it makes it tougher to make it as a guard. But nonetheless, I think that I think that Sabonis should make it. Like I think he should be one of the few locks to make it. Malcolm Brogdon is going to be difficult, but nonetheless, I think both of these guys have been playing at an all-star level this season. A name that I don't think any of us mentioned, Gordon Hayward. I was just about to say you that, but then I saw their record. That's like that's why I didn't say anything. I literally he's saw playing their great record. Though. Yeah, he is playing great, but I don't think he'd get in over Sabonis. Yeah, I don't think he'll get in over Sabonis. I I'm going to say Sabonis makes it. I don't think Malcolm Brogdon does, and it'll be he'll be one of the top snubs it's, if he does. It's it. going to be tough because Cleveland and Atlanta. I'm looking at the stands can easily drop out in the Knicks, get back in, or. Orlando gets back in and gets in front of them. So it, it's like this can change, but I think Indiana being a third seed is going to help Malcolm Brogdon. I, like I said, though, I don't think he's going to get in the starters at all just because the fans own 50% of those. So I, I just I don't know how that's going to happen. But Sabonis should definitely be a lock in my eyes. I think so too. It really depends because I think Sabonis and the front court players are much closer than people think. But Bam Adebayo, like his numbers are great, but you're not putting him over Sabonis because – the Heat are 13 seed right yeah. now. So I think it'll help them, but I think they both deserve to make the all-star team, and hopefully they do, or at least one of them do, because they're playing phenomenal this season. I mean, okay, so 
off seating. Let me ask you just a side question, but New Orleans has two All Stars, but they're 14th seed. Is that going to affect Zion and Brandon Ingram getting in? Well, they have one All Star, but you, you you know what I'm saying though. Like they have two guys that can easily make the All Star team. Yeah, I but think it, especially in the West, it should affect them getting in. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the rankings right now. Same thing with Cat. If if he eventually comes back, he he's fifteenth seed, so that's Cat is not making it. Yeah, Damn. off of how much time he's been out, he's not making it. I mean, will that affect Jason Tatum though and Jimmy Butler? I mean, J- Jason Tatum has not missed many games. What did he miss? Like six, five, five. I mean, Jack said five. Yeah, he missed five. Games. And by the time he's the reserves. And by the time the reserves get voted on, there's probably going to be a lot more games being played. Yeah, I think a lot of this stuff can change by the time the reserves are being voted on also. Like, we're looking at what we have now, but I could definitely see, like, Brogdon going on a run here and maybe Bradley Beal goes on a cold stretch. If Beal, I mean... If Beal's on that team, he's not going on a cold stretch. He's averaging 35 points a game, so... Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he might average 35 and not get in. Yo, that'd be didn't he do that one year? He got snubbed? No, nah, he got snubbed last year. Yeah, but I don't he wasn't an averaging 35. I think he was, he was averaging 30. Like, yeah, I think he was at 30. But 30, 30 35 he, he might not get in. 35 oh and not making the All-Star game would be nuts. He might not get in again. I mean, they're losing. That's yeah. hilarious. He's doing that for nothing. I think I I think he's going to get in. I feel pretty confident that he's going to get in. You right, sure we'll he see. didn't get in last year? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he got snubbed. Wow. Him and Devin Booker were like know. the huge snubs last year, if I'm not mistaken. No, nah, they were. But Devin Booker got in because of the injury. injury. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't count. And that's another thing. How many guys are going to miss it because of injury or, you know, not wanting to play in it because of COVID and everything? There's, there's knows? A, there's, I thought it wasn't an all-star game. They're just voting. They're planning on playing a game. Or maybe not planning, but they are in talks to have a game in Atlanta. Uh, I should just scratch it. Colin Sexton and the Cleveland Cavaliers have been very good this season. They have been exceeding expectations, I think, for all of us. We had them as a team to be one of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference before the season started. And right now, they're the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. They have, I think they're one of the top defenses. They're 10th in defensive rating. They're 7th in opponent points per game. And how do you feel about how do you feel about the Cleveland Cavaliers and Colin Sexton right now, Riv? I... I don't want to just limit it to Colin Sexton. I think this is really a team effort. I think the whole team, him. You, and it's funny because Jack was one of the main guys who said this backcourt wasn't really going to work. And Darius Garland. <laughs> <laughs> Jack said to trade him. Yeah. yeah. I, you said to trade him. Yeah, so yeah, he was crazy. And, like, I, I wasn't, you know, but I think this whole team, you know, they're playing hard. Darius Garland, you see the improvements. Colin Sexton, you see he's just breaking off of what last year he was doing. Andre Drummond, I think him defensively, you've seen the impact he's made for this team. I, I'm just, I'm so surprised by how this team is playing hard and how they've been playing together and as a unit. And I know they're one of the worst offenses in the league, but they play hard every night. Defensively, you know they're going to bring it. And you saw with them Nets games that they, they put up a fight. They didn't care who was on the court. They didn't care if you had three superstars. They was going to go out there and they was going to play hard no matter what. And I think they got that dog mentality in them. And it's just sad because they're talking about buying out Andre Drummond. I don't think they should do that. But now they have Jared Allen, too, who's another guy who's going to be a key for their future. So shout-out to Cleveland. They've been doing really good. I don't think they're – I think they're eventually going to fall out of the playoffs. But they've been playing hard, so you got to give them kudos. Yeah, I mean, I've been super impressed with them. 
I don't I don't know how you couldn't be. I don't think anybody expected them to be this good this year. And it just be it's because almost everybody is exceeding expectations. Andre Drummond is playing as good as he has since he left the Pistons. Like I don't think anybody thought he would have this good of a season. And still, he, like Riv said, he's probably either going to get bought out or traded, which is the best thing. If they could get a deal for him where they get some type of asset in return, it would be the best thing for oh, them. I'm sorry to cut you <laughs> off, but this is with Kevin Love playing two games. Yeah. Like, two games. He's, <laughs> I don't know what? why he's laughing. <laughs> this, this is one time I don't know why yeah, he's laughing. Yeah, I don't laughing. know why. I just can't stop laughing right now. Isaac Caro, although he's been – not great offensively, has mm-hmm. been a huge addition just because his defense. I mean, he was a great defender in college. He's brought that to the NBA level, and it helps out because their two guards are not great defenders. Like Sexton and Garland, that was my big concern with them. Sexton has gotten better as a defender this season, he definitely, I would think. He tries. He definitely but does Garland, try. Garland's defense is still a problem because they're undersized for the most part. And having those two in the backcourt, being able to pair them alongside Okoro who can guard better guards has helped a lot. And so I just feel like, like Riff said, they're all playing hard basketball. You saw it against the Nets. They would just not go away no matter what. Yeah, and Larry Nance, I I saw this stat the other day. He's a top three ISO defender in the league. Like, one-on-one, you put, you put him ISO. He's a top three ISO defender. I laughed at it. I don't know why I laughed at it, but I just didn't expect Larry Nance to yeah. be up there. So it's just and so for me, when uh, – when I, when I was about to do the topic, I was about to sneeze, so I had to pass it over to you real quick. <laughs> but listen, that's what I have to say. And I still feel like I might sneeze soon, but I'm just going to talk through it. I think you know they, you can easily just I, I think they buy out Andre Drummond because mm-hmm. they have Jared Allen and JaVale McGee. They're going to buy out Drummond or McGee. It's going to be one of those guys. Uh, I would buy out McGee because I think Drummond is better. Me too. Um, Way better. But if they do buy out Drummond, like I said, I hope the Nets do get him. But this is the thing with Cleveland. I'm not that surprised that they're playing this well. What I will say is that I'm very impressed because there's kind of been a stain in Cleveland. If LeBron leaves, they're going to suck, right? And they're going to be bad. But they're kind of changing that narrative because they've had some good drafts. Colin Sexton broke the eighth overall pick curse. The eighth overall pick is is home to a lot of bad players. You know, right now, Obi Toppin got selected eighth. He's not playing too well. You know, Kevin Knox, I think, got, no. Frank, Frank Nalakina got selected yeah. eighth. No, Knox was nine. Nine? I think yeah, a lot of people have gotten selected eighth, and they have not been good players. And personally for me, I think JT Bickerstaff is a really great coach. I remember him being the coach in Houston after McHale got fired, and he did a really good job for them. Last year... The Cavs finished five and six. It was a very little sample size, but they finished five and six. And this year, the same thing is happening again. He's got them playing hard and motivated, which is something that a lot of coaches struggle with. And to have a team like the Cavs, who did not have high expectations coming into the year, missing Kevin Love, who was arguably thought to be their best player coming into the season, to get them playing at the level that they've been playing is super impressive. And I just... The personnel has been a good fit with Nance being a good defender, with Okoro being a good defender, Andre Drummond obviously being a good defender. It, it's all worked out. All the puzzle pieces have fallen into place. I don't know if it's sustainable, but the fact that you've seen that these young assets can play, like you've seen they can play at this level, is a promising sign, 
You can get some more assets and build through your own picks moving forward. I thought they made out like bandits in that deal with <laughs> with the Nets and Rockets. Like all they did was throw in Dante Exum in a late first round pick that is protected, I believe. And they got Jared Allen, who I think has a super high ceiling. That was a great move for them. Adds that defense that you would lose if you get rid of Drummond by trade or by buyout. So I think they've been making some really good moves. Question. <laughs> so the only player... What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm just laughing right now. So the only player that has played every single game for the Cavs has been Seti Osman. No. Shetty Osman. No. Yes. No. The, last the, the Cavs have played 18 games. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. The last I've seen Damian Dotson. That's at the, at the, I read 17. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I think Damian Dotson has played 18 well. Oh, 17, as well. 17. Okay, yeah. Shetty Osman is the only one who has played all 18 Seven players are averaging in double figures. Kevin Love, like you said, has played two games. Drummond averaging 19 and 15. Garland 14 and 6. And Isaac Okoro has been one of the most impactful rookies. He ranks first in deflections, charges drawn, and three-point shots contested amongst rookies. You said he was rookie of the year, so stop it. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I said buy his pick. He's rookie of the year, but I knew it was going to be wrong. But I did say... He was going to be very impactful. I would say Halliburton is a better value at his pick. And if we're going deeper, so? I would say that Manuel quickly has been more the Kings valuable are losing. at his pick. The Kings are losing. We're talking about player value with their pick? Okura is very valuable because they're winning. No, but we're basing it on pick value. Halliburton is better. Halliburton at his pick has been a much better value. You saying that just ruined my mood now. I'm not even going to laugh no more. Me no, which I don't know. I don't know why I'm laughing. I think there might be some twisted tea in this or something. <laughs> this is crazy. I don't know about you guys are crazy, man. I'm not trying to take away from Okoro, but at the fifth pick, I mean, he's been what you would hope your fifth pick was. Who? Isaac Okoro. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Even maybe a little bit better offensively. Yeah. He but they knew he was a yeah, defender. Exactly. Though. Exactly. Yeah, but and, usually and rookies, that was the plan. When rookies coming as a defender, they kind of struggle with the pace and um this uh the. Speed of the game. He hasn't, though. He actually just, just like the but they don't, they don't need good. him Akuro's to score. Good. They don't need him to score. That's the thing. They have two scoring so guards in Garland and Sexton. You don't want, have you ever watched him get the ball in ice? So it's horrible. <laughs> like, really Okoro is a good player, yeah. but I think this, I think the reason the Cavs have been so good is that this has been a real collective yeah. unit. No, They've all been playing really yeah. well. 100%. I just want to see them get rid of Drummond. Well, one, because I want to see him on the Nets. Two, and more importantly, I want to see Jared Allen get minutes there. Dudes just want to go back to the super team. He was playing awesome for the Nets. I hope we get Giannis. Curry did that. Curry didn't do it. Kevin Durant did that. Uh, If we we run, it would be real LeBron started. And I love LeBron, but LeBron started. I think the big three started. LeBron started the player empowerment movement, which then created super teams. Like him going to Miami started that. Power to but the you guys players. are overdoing it now. Like you're trying to get Drummond. Like, come on, bro. Well, if we're talking like, overdoing it. Overdoing it started with the Warriors. Overdoing it is the Warriors getting boogie. He was garbage. Not, when, the tra- when that happened, All right, when the on. signing <laughs> happened. <laughs> but come on. like When the signing happened, was, the reaction to it wasn't boogie's garbage. But wait, it's not our fault that the Pelicans the Pelicans offered him a weak deal. He didn't want to go to back to the Pelicans. He didn't have to go to the Golden Forget State. Boogie. He did Forget Boogie. Overdoing it started with Kevin Durant. Blame going He's on your Warriors. team. Blame I'm him. not blaming anybody. I'm just saying if we want to pinpoint I mean, isn't, where wait, things spiral out of control. Isn't the Nets kind of like leading to that? Because you have 
Kyrie, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's 100%. crazy. No, they would be a super. They already are a super team. Yeah. There's no questioning it. But losers. Yeah. Okay. Keep saying. I, I've that. had to. I've had to watch twelve win teams, no, so I good. will not. I, I don't Loser. care what anybody has to say about the Nets. I will yeah. fully enjoy them winning these games. And yeah, when Jack when everybody else's yeah, teams, no, Jack, you need it. You, you Jack, Jack and I made it through some real tough seasons. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> this guy. We have. Nets days have some real tough seasons. Nah, I had to sit through some very bad Nets seasons. Right. So I had to I sit through Brooke Lopez getting the last shot in a, in games at the three point line. You were literally watching Melo. I'm a Nets fan, bro. No, you were a Knicks fan at that moment. Let's be on, let's be honest. I think they went twelve and uh, twelve and seventy. That was a minute ago, though. Yeah, that was I, before Harden. I think it was even in the league. We right? were in New Jersey still. Yeah, I mean, I watched them at that point. Did you really? Yes. That's a horrible way to go. You said you were a Nets fan before they moved to Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah, I was he, always he was a, a New Jersey, New Jersey Nets, Nets fan. fan. Yeah, you wasn't always a Brooklyn fan, though. Levels to always this. a Nets fan. They had the same history. You didn't ride with them when they went to the and borough. I'm still waiting. For a championship for one of my teams. This could be the first ever. What do you want? Nets, Mets, Jets? Yeah, and Rangers. Right. If I had a hockey team. But <laughs> none on. of them have ever won. I'm glad that we're getting off this segment about the Cavaliers. <laughs> I don't know what it was about this segment, but every single time I looked at Jack, I just started laughing. I don't know. Maybe it was because of all the things he said about them in the offseason. No, he violated the them. <laughs> They're going to go back to that. They're going to go. Right. I wish we had a big Cleveland fan base. We'll see. We'll see how many views we get on the. You video. literally went on there. You was like, "Yeah, I just don't see it. I just they're gonna be one of the worst teams in the league." <laughs> trade them. <laughs> just trade the house. I still don't <laughs> love the fit of Garland and Sexton in the backcourt, but I mean, if they could keep working it, it work. out with Okoro being that, you know, hopefully elite defender. One I think day. they need one more. But you sounded you you made it sound like Sexton wasn't a good player. Okay. He, he had a good season last He's year. He's definitely over exceeding my expectations. Last year he was really good. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was good last good. year. I mean, I, my only question was Sexton was his shot. I'm yeah, I didn't think he showed you yeah, I didn't think shooting. he would get up to a twenty five percent shoot or a twenty five point per game. Yeah, he showed score. you guys. Yeah. So, huh. I mean, he is from the same school Javon Quinterly is at, so that probably does it. I don't know how that correlates, <laughs> but all right, I mean, that's Jelly Fam. Colin Sexton, he went there first, and he's they not didn't Jelly even overlap. Yeah, what's wrong with you? That's Jelly Fam, though. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Sexton probably went back to Alabama to get some game. He actually goes work out there a lot. So he saw Javon cook him, and he said, I got to get my game up and take it to the league. I seriously doubt that happened. Like, I seriously <laughs> doubt that happened. Nah, I'm happy for Colin Sexton, though. He's a dog. Are you? I am. Uh, nah, I've, I've actually really liked him. Though, you guys, if, you get drum, if you guys get drumming, I'm not watching the NBA. Ever since they that get video, McGee, that's a super team still. Listen, I know people hate it, and, and I am also not a fan of super teams in the NBA in general, but, like, it is really good basketball if you just want to sit down and appreciate it, like from a basketball perspective so you, and not a rooting perspective. Like you go back and watch those Warrior games with KD. So they had the highest Steph. rated games. So you appreciated the blowouts. What do you mean? The Warriors, like KD encourages blowing teams out. As, a, fa- as a fan I'm of the Nets, though. as a fan of the Nets, I hated it. But as a basketball fan, at its purest form. You go back and watch those games. That's about as good as basketball gets. Harden beat that team play. on a game winner in the regular season. Oh, you're talking about when it doesn't matter. I get it. I mean, that game still matters. I that can't was, believe. That no, no. Let's play. go back. To, you just said if they get you, they're still. <laughs> yo. They're a super team now. If they yeah, get but come McGee, on. You tried to make it seem like JaVale McGee was going to be ignited into that super team. JaVale McGee no, would JaVale be McGee's a huge really good for this team. He's really good. He's all right. 
Nah, he's really good. We just need a he big body. He would swatch your shot. I watched him for stretches with the Warriors. He's he kind of dumb at times. It's it doesn't matter. Time. <laughs> we don't need him to do anything except block shots and rebound. Yeah. I mean, you guys just need to put more effort on defense. You guys let it. You guys had another good game with the Hawks the other day. Another one. Yeah. No. Nah, people. People are underestimating like how big of an impact the Nets outside of those three guys. Like Bruce Brown, TLC, Joe Harris have been. Jeff Green have been. Huge. Well, yeah, Joe Harris is going to do what he does. You know, he didn't even. He scored six points last night. Didn't make a three, and he might have been, like, obviously not the most impactful player, but he had a huge yeah. impact on that game. He face guarded Trey Young the whole fourth quarter and overtime. That's tough. Like, Cam Reddish hit a uh, tying layup on uh, Kevin Durant. It's pretty and dope. They lost. It was a pretty dope feeling though. It's kind of like scoop the Warriors. Pretty dope. Yeah. It doesn't even matter because Jeremy McGee would dunk on you. <laughs> He's seven feet tall. <laughs> I would hope so. I thought you were six six though. What the hell? <laughs> you think I'd be sitting here like this if I was six six? Now nah, I'm playing. Let's go on to the next segment because we've been going on a change. Yeah, we for gotta a while. we gotta cut that segment. Like this is a very important segment. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm gonna cut it off like, way back. <laughs> this is the funny thing is like so many people are not gonna see any of that. It's called the blooper because they just watch like the segments. I mean, it's not a blooper. They're, if people see the full episodes, they'll see. Stay in. They'll say the. They'll mm-hmm. see the conversation. We've had a side conversation between every segment too. Yeah, who cares, man? People love watching. People this aren't going to see our Wall Street talk. They're not going to see that conversation. That's why you should put it so on. Watch the, the full episode, man. Then drop a bloopers episode like yeah, this it. It shouldn't be bloopers because right? bloopers. Is, I know Saucy's watching the full episode. Blo- bloopers. You know that bloopers means things that didn't make it to the final cut. This is gonna be on the final episode. Oh yeah, on the big, the big, the big episode, right? I don't. I feel like nobody watches this. Saucy watches. Saucy. He comment. actually really does. Saucy comment. Now he hits school me up bus. every night. So listen, this is the next segment we're gonna talk about. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are on a ten-game winning streak, and this is a question: What's been the reason for their success? And I'll go first because I have a lot to say about this topic. I mean, I don't have to apologize about anything. (laughs) What I'm going to say is that I've been doing a lot of studying, watching film. I watched three jazz games today. Jotted down notes. I was watching a lot of games. Even though I watched the jazz before because I watched them against the Knicks the other night when Austin Rivers scored like 25 points and and a half. Did nothing else after. This is what I have to say about the jazz. A segment that we did last week was talking about how far we think the Jazz can be instead of talking about how good the Jazz are now. So let's just talk about what's making them so good right now, well, great right now. So they're 14-4. and They're on a 10-game winning streak. And for me, I think the reason they have been so good is, one, Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. If you see the plays that he draws up, it's second to none. I think in terms of play designing – and the plays that he calls, he might be the best coach in the NBA. I saw the game against the Warriors, and it felt like Kerr and Quinn Snyder were going back and forth on plays they called and just different type of designs and concepts that they were running against each other. And for me, I also think a big igniter to this streak is, one, persistence, and two, health. I'll get into health first. Ingles has missed four games. Donovan Mitchell has missed one game. That was against the Mavs yesterday when they beat the Mavs without Mitchell. Most of their players have been healthy and they have been there. And I think a really important part to this is that Mike Conley, you can argue the the most important position on the floor 
is the point guard position. Last year, Conley had to get situated to the offense versus this year where he knows it in and out. And I think that's been a huge difference. If you see Conley and Gobert's um, on-court numbers versus when they're off the court, there is a big and huge difference. And this 10-game ten, this winning streak is not any fluke. They won against 13 to the Bucks, 10 against the Pistons, 30 against the Cavs, 24 against Atlanta, Four against the Nuggets. Wait, are are 16, these like the uh, margins? Yes. Oh, okay. 16 against the Pelicans and then 11 against the Pelicans again. 19 against the Warriors, 14 against the Knicks, and 12 against the Mavs. And when I talked about persistence, what I mean by that is that when I was watching them against the Knicks, even though the Knicks were up and it, it felt like they had control of that game, Utah kept playing their brand of basketball. Tough defense, forcing difficult shots. They were just cold in the first half. Donovan Mitchell was extremely cold. Bogdanovich was still going through a slump. And then in the second half, they picked it up, and the Knicks couldn't keep up that scoring pace because Austin Rivers literally went off in the first half. And I think those have been the main keys for them. It's been health. It's been persistence. And Coach Snyder, Quinn Snyder, does not get the credit he deserves as one of the better coaches in the NBA. I think right now he's probably a top five or top three coach in the NBA. Yeah, he's he's a great coach, and he especially a young lot of coach. Credit. He's young. I mean, in terms of like NBA coaches, yeah. I think oh, he's pretty okay. young. Um, those are all good points. You made a very uh, strong argument there, buddy. Um, I think my six my uh, keys for this team. I think I will go two ways. Obviously, defense that's an easy one. It's always going to be great, you know. They're second in field goal percentage and they're fifth in defensive rating. Um, pardon me, third in defensive rating. I think this team has been locked in defensively. They're always going to be locked in defensively. Number two, I think the depth has been very, very good for this team. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson. I think the role players behind Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Bogdan, I think they've been good. for Even Royce O'Neal and Derek Favors, I think these guys have been stepping up to help out Donovan Mitchell, and I think that's what you need. At your, when your superstar is down, just like yesterday he wasn't playing, you need your role players to step up and get the dub without them, and I think that's good for them. I think Mike Conley getting a year under his belt in this offense. He struggled last year dealing with injuries and whatnot, and he struggled in the bubble. He, well, he got it going in the bubble, but he struggled throughout the year dealing with this offense. I think now he's fully understanding, and people counted him out last year, and now he's back. I think the Bogdan injury against Denver last year, people kind of slept on it, even when they went up 3-1. I feel like he was still missing. Just Donovan Mitchell had a couple explosions, so that's what, you know. But I think now that everybody's back, Jordan Clarkson's improvement, you know, transitioning him to the bench and just saying, just go out there and score. Doing that, I think this team is now fully equipped to be a very great team in the West, and I think the depth is what's keeping them alive. You said Donovan off the bench or Clarkson? No, I meant to say Clarkson. Pardon Clarkson me. off the bench. And I, you mentioned Royce O'Neal. I think Royce O'Neal has really taken his offense to a, 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 a the next step for him because last year he was not this offensively. I see him driving to the basket now. He's a much better shooter this He's year. He's more confident. Six players on the Jazz are averaging in double figures right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys this year. Well, one thing they're doing this year, or two things they're doing this year that they did just as well last year, the defense has been great, and the three-point shooting has been great. They're the second-best three-point shooting team in the league percentage-wise on the third most attempts, just like last year. They were the first. They were the number one-ranked team by field goal or three-point field goal percentage. So they're continuing that. They're continuing the great defense, but – there have been a couple guys on this team that have had 
a much a, a big leap this season. Royce O'Neal is one of them. Mike Conley is another one who is you know reinvigorated. He almost looks like his old Memphis self again towards the tail end of his Memphis days. He's really playing great basketball, and that's been a huge boost for this team. Donovan Mitchell is looking like that star, superstar type that they gave that max extension to. Rudy Gobert has been Rudy Gobert. You know what to expect from him. He's the best defensive big man in the league. And then the biggest improvement, in my opinion, this offseason was the bench. Last year, they were 23rd in the league in bench points per game. This year, they're up to 5th in the league. Jordan Clarkson has blossomed into a player that I didn't ever think he would become. He's scoring 17 points a game pretty efficiently off the bench, and that's been huge for them, having that scoring option to come off the bench that they really haven't had in the past. Clarkson has kind of been that, but he hasn't been this. So him taking that leap has been awesome for them. Obviously, Joe Ingles coming off the bench, but George Niang has been really good this year. Mieoni has been really good this year. So it's just guys stepping up. That bench unit has been great. And, you know, like you mentioned, Royce O'Neal, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich coming back from the injury. Everybody is just playing their best basketball right now. And I, it's all. Sorry to cut you off, but this has been the best offensive unit Quinn Snyder has had in Utah this year. Like this is this is their first time they've been top five so, offensive rating. So Quinn Snyder is the 18th oldest coach in the NBA. He's 54. He's younger than Steve Kerr by one year. Oh wow! Yeah. So screw Steve Kerr. He's not like 60 or 70. I think he's for 55. I think that's a pretty young 54. That's a pretty young coach. You no, know, he kind of looks like in his late 40s. That's how I thought. So for me, when you mentioned Jordan Clarkson, that's what I was going to get into. Jordan Clarkson, it feels like every one of his points are very impactful because he scores him in such a short amount of time. He's scoring 18 points per game in 25 minutes. Per 36, he's possibly he's probably scoring like around 24 or 25. Like he scores so many points in a short amount of time that they feel very crucial to Utah. And even Gobert when you talk about him, he's only scoring 13 and but he had he's averaging 14 rebounds and 3 blocks, but when talking about who the best player on Utah is, I think you have to talk about who's the best in certain categories because Donovan Mitchell is the best scorer. Mike Conley is the best playmaker. I think Rudy Gobert is the most impactful player on Utah in terms of, especially on defense. You take Rudy Gobert out of Utah, I don't think they're even a top 15 defense. I think Rudy Gobert is is that great, def- that elite defensively, and it shows he's a two-time defensive player of the year. I think he's the most impactful player on Utah. Yeah, because I don't know that they have another elite defender. Not elite. I mean, Derek Favors on that is cool. Team. He's not elite. Especially in their starting lineup. Like, I don't think that Donovan Mitchell is, good. for his size, you know, he's a good defender. They have defender. a bunch of good defenders, and then they get to go bare, and it's like a Exactly. So he kind of elevates that but whole But it's defense. just that second level. Once you get past Mitchell or Conley or whoever you get by. It's, it's trouble. You really can't do anything. And one thing that has really impressed me about Gobert is how great he is at deflecting entry-level passes. He makes it really difficult for guards to pass inside the post because his hands are so active. And when he gets those steals, that creates fast breaks for the Jazz, and now they can get out and running. I think they're one of the slower-paced teams 25th. in the NBA, the 25th. So they play a slow brand of basketball. but They play like they, the old Spurs. But they make the most out of their possessions and. They moved the ball around. I was uh, I was looking at some quotes from Jordan Clarkson, and he was talking about how 
this year is different because everybody's unselfish. They're all making the extra pass, and they basically like to see their teammates score. That? Yeah, really? He Him? said that. Carson <laughs> said that. It wasn't quote for quote, but that's what he basically said. And Rudy Gobert has said that this year is the most locked in that the entire team feels. Like, they they all feel locked in. Their focus is at another level. They're dangerous. Yeah, and you mentioned the per 36 numbers for Jordan Clarkson. He'd be averaging 25.6 points per game. That's and, how and much that that's how much uh, I was going to say Bradley Beal. Paul George and Kawhi average, I think. In per 36, Kawhi is at 25 points a game right now. In his like in his numbers, it doesn't really show how much of a jump he's taken. I think that he has improved immensely from maybe not even last year, but from years prior to that like Looking back to his Cleveland days, he's a totally different player. And I think it's been a steady improvement, but this year he's been really like noticeably a, a major impactful player for this Jazz team. It just makes you think if they would have never blew that 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. Could they have been the team to beat the Clippers? Yeah, possibly. And if they, they didn't I, even have Bogdan either. I honestly, I don't know because the Joker gave them so much yeah. trouble on offense. And Gobert's just not that player offensively. Well, they have had to double Gobert the way they double Jokic because that was what that I was the, bust, the more, defense. I buster. think Zubac becomes more playable against Utah than he did against the Joker. I think it was just like a bad. Ma- I don't even know because they were still up three one. So you, it's, I don't even know, bro. I mean, <laughs> Denver killed them with high pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. I mean, they killed the Clippers with that too. They, so, they they basically spam that to yeah, get back yeah. from three one in both series. Yeah, that's just funny. a hot pick and roll with that's Murray. Funny. And that's funny as hell. It's a great pick and roll combination. The way Murray was playing, though, I think they have the best chemistry in the NBA. Murray Ooh. and Jokic, debatable. Who's better, Steve, Steph Curry, and Draymond? Oh, I mean, I think they're second. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, like I debatable, you know. I mean, a, a better one-two guy. It's oh, definitely no, you just Jamal meant, you just, you Murray just, and Jokic. Obviously, because but you saying. Better chemistry? Yeah, but their chemistry plus production. Like, you got to take that into account. I mean, yeah. Like, chemistry plus produ- production, it's Jokic and I would Murray. say I would say LeBron AD would be up there. But but the point still stands. Jokic and Murray are right just, up, especially the way know. Murray was playing in the bubble because he was on a different I mean, level. So right now, the Jazz are on a 10-game winning streak. So we'll see how far they can push this winning streak. Can somebody to. pull up the next couple games real quick? Jack's on it. <laughs> so lazy. <laughs> I see him typing. I'm not about to do it. Of course, now it's not going to load. Young I'm going to do it. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Boy, I got remember it. his um, jacket. Let me see. Remember. So who? their next six games are against the Mavericks, the Nuggets, the Pistons, the Hawks, the Hornets, and the Pacers. They can easily go six and nine. Yo, Jack, you think you can remember who was the backcourt guy he played with in Missouri? Who? Jordan Clarkson. They were both twenty point scorers. What year was it? Because that that's that's probably like twenty. He's drafted in twenty fourteen, so like 2012, 2013. Yeah, he ain't going. Jordan Brown. Oh wow! Jordan Brown, yeah. That's a blast from the past. They were tough. Mizzou was tough. They're ranked now too. Who was? Was it? And Ernest Ross was really good on that team too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's something about something about today. Like this guy, I don't right? Know. <laughs> it's the well, T. You know who? You know who that is? 
Bro, just, stop to just next topic. Next topic. Let, let me ask you something, though. In the playoffs, like, I know one of the big problems with playing the Lakers was they could put Anthony Davis to the five, and a lot of centers become unplayable. Mm-hmm. Does Rudy Gobert become unplayable in a series like that? Just like foot speed wise, having to guard the perimeter, they're going to get switches. Unplayable? No. Hard to play, yes. Because that's what makes the Lakers such a tough matchup is that they their personnel, they could switch their personnel any which way and they dictate what I think way, they're gonna have a problem just because goes, you know what I'm they saying? Don't, they don't they don't have another wing to guard LeBron either. So I think that's just gonna be a problem in itself. Yeah, who do you put on LeBron? Would it be You have to put O'Neal or Bojan? The match I, mean, I, I don't think he's unplayable, but I think I don't even know because what would the Jazz's small ball lineup be? It's Bojan, O'Neal, Mitchell, Conley, and then Gobert at the five. No, the small Joe, ball lineup. You could, you oh, could you have insert Derek Clarkson. Favors. Yeah, you're not. Derek Favors is not better no. than Gobert, especially his foot speed. So you, you don't want Bojan at the five. Clarkson or Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles would probably make more sense to put in a small ball lineup just because I think he'll yeah, that would be killed. more impactful defensively. Oh my God. They would get killed. If it has to go small ball, I would be concerned because the reason we brought up with Gobert is he makes them so much better. I don't think I don't think small ball is necessarily um what the Lakers are because Anthony Davis is a big man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but like the, the way Rockers. He plays. But the difference in the Rockets series is that PJ Tucker, he was their five, but they're all at really agile players, and that makes it difficult for Gobert to guard the perimeter. Whereas Anthony Davis, like Gobert, he he can't keep up with Anthony Davis, but in terms of foot speed and guarding him laterally, he can if he's on the perimeter, and even on switches. Like I don't, you know, I don't think Caldwell Pope is that much of a threat to to drive. Because of Gobert's length and his ability to recover, but LeBron is. Yeah, LeBron is. But Schroeder is kind of. But you would have to. But I think if they do that, they they might just go on his own. That could work too. And the other thing is like the uh, the two teams that are the litmus test in the Western Conference are the Lakers and the Clippers. Matchup wise, is a little tough because they don't have that elite defender at the three slash four, even two really like Royce O'Neal and Ingles are their better defenders in that position. Royce O'Neal would have to step up in a huge way in both of those series because you know, he's he would have like defensively. Four. Yeah, he's not tall. Yeah, so. Not short. Or maybe Ingle slides into the starting lineup. We saw him, we already saw him guard Paul George very well. Even the, I mean, you could say his shoulders, but we saw him lock up Paul George in a series what, two years ago. Lock up. I'm gonna be honest. Ingles never locked up Paul George. People have to stop. Saying I, I think that. he played I, very good defense. I think all that things considered, that was his especially, MVP type Especially season. when it comes to super. No, that wasn't that year. It wasn't that year. MVP season he played Portland. It was the year before when they had Melo. You're right. You're right. Especially when it comes to superstar players or or high caliber all stars, when they have bad games, it's very rarely because the defense was phenomenal or they got locked up. They just missed shots. That's just my opinion on some things. Like sometimes you see it, but especially with with not you don't see it with no no Joe Ingles, you don't see he it gave, with Joe yeah Ingles. like he gave him thirty twice. Then they go to Utah. He plays bad. I, I highly doubt it was because of Joe Ingles. I think he like was we just don't missing. say we don't say uh who guarded Paul George in the Clippers series. I mean in the in the Denver series. Gary Harris. We don't Grant. say Gary Harris locked up Paul George. No, he just Paul bad. George just played bad. And that's well, what yeah. I think it is with stars. I think they, they just play bad. 
No, I don't really think that can, they really get locked up. You guys up. think if Denver and Utah run it back, Denver can beat Utah again? Yeah, I think either of them could beat each other. Like without without depend, their wings like, now? That'd be a good matchup. Yeah. I think they're too, I think they're very evenly matched. Mm. Even though the records don't display it right now, Jamal Murray has not been playing very well. Like in a playoff series, I would like to see. I think he's that more matchup. better suited for the playoffs than a full length regular season. Yeah, I'm just trying to use this litmus test on the Jazz because I know Jazz fans are very upset with us talking about their ceiling. And I'm trying to be fair and partial and yes. think about it. Like, because Speaking right now mind. we're considering them one of the best teams in the league. So we got to think, like, that's, that's who they should be weighed with. Like, they should be up there with the top dogs. How do they match up with the top dogs? I mean, I think they're playing the best basketball right now. But I don't think they're the, one of the best teams in the league, though. Yeah, but they're not beating. Right now, the best teams in the league are the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nets. Uh, not in order, by the way. But the Nets, <laughs> the Clippers, the Nets, and then every it's. I think it in the in I the NBA right now. Better than Utah. In the NBA right now, it's the Clippers, Lakers, Nets, and everybody else. That's how I'm looking at it. I would say that's fair. That's how I'm looking at it. Like everybody else, if it. they get if they get to the. Um, if they get to the finals, it's a surprise. The Sixers and Bucks might have an argument, but out outside of those teams, I, mean, I, would I think say, the yeah. Sixers would do it to Utah, like beat them in like five. The Sixers have great personnel to yeah, play like, I Utah, think though. That would be a really bad. I don't know Utah. I don't know. Let me not say nothing before they start. You know, it's okay. I'm gonna <laughs> cut off this whole conversation. <laughs> this is gonna be another part that if you're not watching the full episode, you won't see. They're it. gonna miss out. Saucy's gonna. So the next <laughs> part of this segment, or the next part of this episode, we're going to talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Is he quietly having a breakout season with the Oklahoma City Thunder? I mean, right now, the OKC Thunder are 8-9. and nine. They're 10th in the West. He's averaging 22 points per game, 5 rebounds, 6 assists per game, shooting 50% from the field, 38% from three. Career high in points, assists, field goal percentage, and three point percentage. I know you're a big Shea fan. Yeah, I, I thought his his I think he's having a breakout year, but I thought it was going to be more along the twenty seven points, seven rebounds. He was going to shoot kind of a pretty low percentage because I didn't expect OKC to be this good and a lot of guys to step up. But even then, you can still see the improvement in his game. I like what he's been doing. I like the pace he's been playing at. I like the fact that he's getting his teammates involved. He's been playing more of the point guard role this year with Chris Paul out, so that's good to see. And you can see he's starting to get better with his jump shot, so that's good. He's also getting a lot stronger in the finishing at the basket, so that's also good. But I, like I said, I, I expected it to be like a 26 points per game, but with the team playing so good and he being at the helm of that, you could definitely see a lot of that Chris Paul intangible and that thought process was definitely feeded onto Shy. And I think that's going to be a good sign moving forward. But Shay, Shay, sorry, but yeah, I definitely do see this as a breakout. And he's he's one of my guys. He's not my leader for MIP, but he's one of those guys that's definitely going to be talked about for the award. He might, he was close to winning in MIP last season. I mean, for me, Shay has been phenomenal. And you mentioned it; the team has been playing really well. Something that I really like about Shay and what he does. Is the ability that he the ability of that he has to change speeds? That's what I think because when you see him handle the ball, he's a very slow paced player. And then once OKC calls a high pick and roll for him, he always has that second gear to get to the basket. He makes a move, he hezzies, 
and he just goes. And I think that second speed, that second gear he has has been really good. I mean, I was watching the game against the Suns yesterday, and I think he got a wide-open layup off of a high pick and roll and just not using screen and just hezzing and going to the basket. He had a wide-open layup about two or three times just off that move alone. I think he's gotten really good at using his eyes to be deceptive and defenders falling for it. And with George Hill not playing yesterday, he was really good as the point guard. They started Teo Maladone, and Maladone was really good. The Suns weren't even guarding him at the three-point line, and Maladone was making his shots. Al Horford had 21 and 11, I think. Like They were awesome against the Suns. The Suns didn't have Devin Booker, but it was still a great win in my eyes, and it showed a lot of Shea's point, point guard skills. He didn't shoot that well that game, but he got the late baskets when they needed him to get him. Yeah, and you mentioned his play style. It kind of reminds me of, like, as a net fan, a play style I've seen a lot of Karis LeVert, like a herky-jerky, like, stop and go, knows how to use his body to get himself open shots. And I think that that's a play style that can last you your entire career. It's not based on this crazy athleticism. Like, he just knows how to slow himself down when he has to, and it creates a lot of great looks for him. And the second thing you mentioned, the playmaking. He's improved a lot as a playmaker. Maybe it's just because we haven't been able to see him in that role yet, but the fact that he's been able to step into that role of playmaker a lot more this year, he's averaging three more assists, 3.2 more assists per game this year. So seeing that versatility out of him is a very promising sign. It shows that he's not just some one-dimensional guy that can score. You know, he can defend. He can shoot. He's shooting the ball pretty efficiently this year. And although you haven't seen that huge jump in points per game, that jump in assists shows you that versatility that you want to see out of like uh, maybe not a maybe a number one, but like a, a very good number two type guy. So I like what they have in Shea moving forward. And I, and I think it's funny that this guy has been in three different roles in his first three seasons in the NBA. You know, he was coming off the bench his first year. He was on a playoff team, the underdog team. His second year last year, another underdog team. He was the primary scorer in that starting lineup. And now this year, he's become the leader. And I think that's something that he's been able to, to manage and get better in each in, each out, year in, year out. And that's I think that's something that should be definitely praised for. And he reminds me, like, off the pick and roll. You know how I remember when Ginobili used to do a pick and roll and then just burst out and do a little Euro step? He kind of reminds me of that when he just comes off the pick and roll. You don't know how fast he's going to go or what he's going to do. And I think that's great move he has in his arsenal I mean he's definitely adjusted to each situation that he's been in last year he was asked to be more of a scorer now he's handling the ball he's their primary ball handler and everybody has been playing better Lugans Dort has been amazing Dort and somebody who doesn't get talked about that comes off the bench is Isaiah Roby he's been really phenomenal yeah, for, the, watching for OKC when he gets minutes their whole their entire team is a really good team and shame on me for thinking they were going to be one of the worst teams because I knew that the team was full of good veteran players. See, the thing with me is that... You did say they were going to be competitive. I knew they were going to be competitive, but I didn't know if they were going to finish out games. That was my thing. You know, with Chris Paul there last year when nobody picked him to make the playoffs, even though I thought it was crazy because they had Gallinari, Adams, and Paul, I knew they were going to be able to finish games because of Paul. Now, without them, I didn't know if they were going to be able to finish games, but they have been able to, and they closed out the Suns. I mean, last um, yesterday, I believe, I think the Thunder were up on the Suns by a lot. The Suns come back, then the Suns are up on Thunder, and then the Thunder come back, and then they win the game. 
Yeah, and you know, very people are going to say Devin Booker didn't play, but that same Suns team beat a Denver team without Devin Booker. So that win should nonetheless be when, a good uh when he he didn't he played but he fouled out, so he didn't play for the last couple minutes. But um shout out to them and you know, you mentioned that that lineup last time, Chris Paul, you forgot Dennis Schroeder who was a part of that lineup in the clutch time last year, that small guard lineup. So I think shout out to Shea, man. He he's definitely improved. Do you think that they will be a lottery team this year? Because I think it might be the best thing for them. Like That's I, tough. I love that they made the playoffs last year and got Shea and those other young guys, Lou Dort, that playoff experience. But hand, going hand-in-hand hand with the fact that we've seen Shea adapt to any situation he's been put in, I think that if they end up in the lottery in a deep draft and you get a guy that turns out to be like, a star superstar player, you know Shea can play that number two role because he's adaptable to any situation at this point. You think in his they career. should drop? The Nuggets are two one against the Suns this season. The one game the Suns beat them, Booker played thirty five minutes. Oh wow! I think yeah. I think he fell. Yeah, he the, the Suns just lost two straight to Denver like in the past week. But yeah, I mean, I, I think OKC they're more likely to be in the playing game than a lottery team. But then again, a lottery team is the first 14 teams. If, yeah, isn't the playing still a lottery if team? Yeah, if you yeah. lose in the playing yeah. games, you're still in the Well, lottery. if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to be a lottery team. That's yeah, if they I th- don't, win, if I they think don't win that playing game. Yeah, I think they'll be a lottery team. I think that's the best case scenario for them. Just get another talented guy. Maybe you jump up in the lottery a little bit. But still, regardless of how they finish out the year, you're seeing signs from Shea Gilgis-Alexander that – one, he's improved in multiple different areas of his game. Two, he's adaptable to different circumstances, which is huge because there's a, not a lot of guys in the league that can do that and, and perform and could, in a bunch of different situations. He could possibly adapt to a Cade Cunningham or exactly. Jalen Suggs coming to OKC. Exactly. I don't think they'll fall into that position that they could get one of those guys. But say even if you're drafting at like 10 or 12, and this is a deep draft. Say a guy falls to you and breaks out. He can play that number two role. He doesn't need 23, 24 I mean, shots honestly, a night. Honestly, if I was OKC, if I was an OKC fan, Kate at the one would be crazy. I would hope, I would hope to get Jonathan Kuminga. I think he's going to be an elite two way player. Jersey, especially defensively, I think he's going to be an elite defensive player. Uh, you've been paying attention, my boy. I mean, I know they start the G about? League. Um, I think I sent it to you. They draft. Yeah, they draft or. No, filled out the roster is whatever. No, the roster they're is, starting in February. Yeah, they're starting. Yeah. The roster is filled out. Yeah, no, I'm saying they just did that. Yeah, they like um, they completed the roster mm-hmm, just last they, week. They starting up their little twelve think twelve fifteen game season or whatever. It's gonna be fun to watch. Jalen Green has been killing. There's the a bunch of good players in that G League. I don't know what they're calling it. I don't know. Is it, there's is a point guard a season or is there's a, a point guard that they, Ignite. Um, I think the team's called Ignite. Yeah, G, there's a point guard in the team, Deshaun uh, Nix. He's really good. There's a bunch of good players in this G League format this year that Should've are going to be interesting me, to watch. Currently, the Rockets are beating the Portland Trailblazers by four points with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And this is the perfect time for this topic. The Rockets are currently on a three-game winning streak. If they beat Portland, it would be a four-game winning streak. And this begs the question, are they still good even without James Harden? And I'm going to say this. They are really good without James Harden. Pre-Harden trade, the Rockets' defense was ranked 21st. Their offense was ranked 21st, and their net rating was minus 4.4. 
post-Harden trade, their defense is now ranked third, their offense is 25th in the league, and their net rating is plus three. John Wall was quoted saying, getting the trades in, getting the people that want to be here, committing on both ends of the floor has been the difference. They're fourth in defensive rating this season, and I think everybody is bought in. By the way, Oladipo, Christian Wood, and John Wall against the Blazers tonight, that's the first game that all three of them have played. It's either been Oladipo has been in and Wall has been out, or Wall has been in and Oladipo has been uh Just team, yeah. And, yeah, but, like, Christian Wood has not been playing these past couple of games, and now all three of them finally get to play. We know that Christian Wood is phenomenal, 23.5 points per game, 11 rebounds. Oladipo averaging 22 points for the Rockets so far. Eric Gordon averaging 18 and John Wall 18. And last year, some of the key players for the Rockets were Daniel House and Ben McLemore. Daniel House is delegated to a bench role now. Like, Daniel House comes off the bench. Last year, he was was a starter. And I think some of these guys have overtaken Daniel House. David Nwaba. Possessions that I saw Nwaba on Bradley Beal, he was locking him up. No, he's a lot. I told you about David I mean, I, I never said he wasn't a good defender. He's just not a good shooter. David, he's a, he's a super impactful player. I think he's good to his role. I think he's good in his role. But when Harden was there, they were starting Nwaba, and they were injured all around. So I think David Nwaba has made a huge difference. Mason Jones, when he's been playing, Mason Jones has been probably the second, third best rookie in the NBA, and DeMarcus Cousins is finally starting to come along. He just had two breakout games. He's doing his thing in the absence of Christian Wood. And Jay Sean Tate, he's a hustler. I told you about Jay Sean Tate. I remember, I, yo, it's crazy because I watched him at Ohio State, but I just, like, one day he just wasn't here anymore. I was just like, oh, wow, all right, he's gone. And I think the Rockets are, a be, are, are still a good team right now. They have an opportunity to make the playoffs even without James Harden because Christian Wood has ascended to be an all-star this season. I think he's playing at an all-star level. John Wall has exceeded everybody's expectations with the way that he's came back from injury. Oladipo can give you 20 a night and elite defense. I mean, this is a team that has bought in. And I think Oladipo, you know, maybe he doesn't get traded. Maybe he doesn't go anywhere. Maybe he likes Houston and he stays. And if Oladipo can be the Oladipo of old, then this team can make some moves and be good. They're seventh in field goal percentage, opponent field goal percentage, fourth in defensive rating. I didn't expect this team to be that great defensively with the weapons they had. You know, they got, got a lot of guys who've been hurt, but they have a lot of individual individual great defenders. I think the Harden thing was clouding over them. It wasn't that this team was just a bad team. It just Harden didn't want to be there anymore. You know, you can see it. He didn't want to play there, and the team was banged up in a sense. Now, like Joel said, they're getting they're getting healthy. They're starting to gel as a team, and when you gel as a team, anything can happen. I think this team rides for each other. They're playing hard. And you know they're not they're not gonna beat you with style or with fashion. They don't have a superstar, but they're gonna play hard every single night. And I think this team is good enough to definitely fight for a playoff spot because defense. If you can play D in this league, you're always gonna fight. And I think this team is one of the best defensive teams in the West. So if you can play defense, you're gonna be good. I think it's gonna be tough, but you see good signs. You see John Wall getting back to semi form. You see Oladipo; he's looking good. You got a star in Christian Wood. That's gonna be good. 
Mason Jones, cheap guy. He's looking like one of the best rookies in the league, underrated guy. You told me about him, too, a while ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like Mason Jones. Yeah. But Mason Jones, right now, the five bench guys that Steven Silas has decided to play this game have been Gordon, Sterling Brown, Daniel House, Nwaba, and Cousins. So Mason Jones, Exum, Ben McLemore aren't even getting minutes. Kevin Porter Jr. just got traded there. We'll see what he does when he's, you know, finally good. But Daniel, like, you know, Sterling Brown, they have him playing because he could handle the ball. He could play the point guard role. But this team is just made up of a lot of guys who have had to prove their way into the league. And you mentioned Christian Wood as a star. I don't think Victor Oladipo is that far off. I mean, Victor Oladipo, his last couple of years in Indiana, has had the responsibility of being that guy. He didn't live up to expectations his, his last couple of years in Indiana, but he has had to be that guy for Indiana so that's why I think he's fitting in seamlessly with the Rockets because he's used to he's used to the expectations. Yeah, and I think a lot of their success early in the season has to be equated to how hard they're playing. And one, you got to give credit to Steven Silas, a rookie head coach coming in, rallying this group of, you know, I don't I don't want to say misfit toys, but that's kind of what it seems like. And that'll lead me to my next point, like. It's a bunch of guys with chips on their shoulders. John Wall was shipped off by the Wizards when he was committed to that organization. He thought that he was going to come back. It was going to be him and Bradley Beal. Victor Oladipo, same thing with the Pacers. They shipped him off for Karis LeVert. All of them felt disrespected by James Harden because he said that he didn't have a, think he had a chance to win there. That situation was clouding over them. And almost in spite of everybody else, they're coming together and just playing hard, and it's resulted in great defense. And you have a pretty good cast of characters here. Like this is a good group of players. I like the depth. You know, there's guys that aren't playing right now that I think are solid bench pieces. I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a good team, and I do think they could be a playoff team. I think that the Harden trade helped in a way because their play style can change now. It's not as dependent on. James Harden being that isolation scorer and a driving kick system where everybody needs to be a good shooter, it's it's a more free offense and it doesn't rely on them shooting the ball well, which, you know, like you said in a couple of videos ago, was not a huge strength of theirs. So I'll be honest though, before you go, James Harden is not the reason they played like that. No, I'm I just I, saying. I, that. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I, it was all of them. I think it was Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I agree. Implemented that I agree. offense. I agree, and I think that James Harden was done with the situation and just getting on from that and starting new was the best thing that could have happened for the team. And maybe it's not the best thing that could have happened to the organization because you never want to lose a player like that. I think it was, but I think w- it was when you look at this roster. There is nothing better than getting the guy out of the locker room that doesn't want to be there. And they did that. They brought in guys who had chips on their shoulders. They got a rookie head coach who I think is doing a very nice job right now getting his guys to play hard. And at the NBA level in the regular season, there are not many things that will impact your team and the win and loss column as much as playing hard. Obviously, you need talent, but on a night-to-night basis, if you could get your team to play hard for 82 games, that is a huge deal. I think it was the right move for the Rockets to trade James Harden. I think it was the best thing for their organization. Listen, I've been a Harden fan since he got traded to Houston, which means I've been rooting for the Rockets ever since 2012. And I am I still hope that they succeed because I still have ties to the Rockets because I love James Harden for so much when he was there. 
2018 was their year to win the championship. They didn't win that year. And when they didn't bring back Trevor Ariza, and we didn't have a small forward, basically, we knew we weren't going to beat Golden State, whose best player was a small forward. We knew we had a chance still, but we're probably going to lose. Then after 2019, when it all blew up, everybody was hoping Westbrook and Harden would win a championship. I was hoping, but Westbrook's lack of shooting really cost them in the playoffs, and it showed against the Lakers, and we almost lost to the Thunder because of it. And then this season, you just see Daryl Morey leaving, Mike D'Antoni leaving. Let's be honest. Even even with Harden, this team was not going to win the championship. And because of that, the best thing for the organization to do was start over. And they're starting over with a good team. They're not starting over like being the Minnesota Timberwolves. No, they're yeah. starting over with a good team and they're competitive and that's all you can ask for. And that's all you can hope for if you're Steven Silas because you don't want to come to a new team and have two disgruntled stars and now your coaching is more predicated on what the stars want. Steven Silas is fitting this team into the image of what he wants. And his calling card out of the Mavericks was offense because of how great they were in terms of They're offensive great rating. But what they what the Rockets have been good at so far is defense. I think the best thing for the organization was to move on from James Harden. And you can see it that they thought it too because they traded Harden to where he wanted to go. Yeah. There I, was no bad blood between them in their rift. There was bad blood between Harden and John Wall and Bogey and the, some of the teammates. But in terms of the front office, I mean, they collaborated throughout the whole time. The whole I time just, at, at this point, I totally agree with you and where it got. I agree the best move was to move on from him. But I was just saying in a general sense, it's never good for an organization to lose a player of that caliber. And like backtracking, I'm sure there are some things that you would change to keep Harden and keep Daryl Morey and maybe or maybe not keep Mike D'Antoni. But at the, like to the point that it had gotten, there was no saving James Harden being there. He was mentally checked out from, I would think, the playoffs last year. Like, I mean, I, once things went wrong with Westbrook, there was really no saving that situation. I mean, the reason I disagree with you in this case is because the Rockets have tried for years to win the championship with James Harden, and, you know, it didn't happen because James Harden's best team was during the time the Warriors were, the were you know, juggernauts. And the reality of the situation is that in trying to provide Harden these teammates, Houston Rockets, they they mortgaged their future and traded away all their first-round picks. In a trade, in trading James Harden, they got all of those assets back, plus an all-star caliber player in Oladipo. That's why I think it was the best situation for them to move on. It was, it was just time. It was just time. The only thing I wish is that we could go back in, in the past – and keep Chris Paul instead of trading for Russell Westbrook. I feel like that trade was what really started to take the wheels off the bus, for lack of a better word. Because, I mean, I, I thought that they were close with that team with I Chris think, Paul. But. I think losing in 2019 was the last draw. Yeah. I think 2018, I think losing Trevor Ariza was what created the domino effect. I think he was huge. And then cutting Carmelo very early in the season, that all was a domino effect. You know, and then it just went downhill from there. Yeah. But that's why I don't think there's no bad blood between Rockets and James, Rockets fans and James Harden. I mean, I can tell you from when I follow a lot of Rockets pages, I can tell you we all want James Harden to win the championship. Like, there's no bad blood there. There's more bad blood between John Wall and Boogie 
Because, I mean, if you go to a new team, you don't want to have a teammate. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to have a team that's basically saying you're not good enough yeah, exactly. to win. Exactly. But you know? it, it, it's great for a rebuild when you have two guys. Like, even though Westbrook's contract was horrible, he still got a good return in John Wall. And James Harden obviously brought in all those picks, brought in Levert, who turned into Oladipo. So it obviously helped that rebuild a lot. Mm-hmm. And kept you competitive now because bringing in Oladipo and John Wall, the way they've played coming off the injury, I mean, they don't look like. I think Oladipo looks closer to what his old self was. John Wall doesn't look like his old self quite yet, but I think he still he looks like a top point guard in the NBA. So, I mean, you're talking about a pretty solid lineup here, and I I think they could at least be like a playing team. I mean, the difference between Harden and Westbrook, Harden wanted to get traded to win. Westbrook wanted to get traded to inflate his stats and go to Washington. I don't even think it was a market for him out there. I mean, there definitely wasn't, but you could even, like, he wanted, he literally said himself, he wanted to run the show again. And he's not, He I think his career's slowly so, ending, going to end really badly because his main he's thing not, was his he's, athleticism. He's He shouldn't be a high usage player anymore. You know, he's not that good anymore, so. I mean, in terms of be like that superstar guy. Yeah, I don't think guy. he wants to win. And right now, currently, the Rockets are beating the Blazers 101 to 98 with 20 seconds left. So we'll see if they win four in a row. But Game we magic. all we all can agree that the Rockets, even without James Harden, are still a pretty damn good team. And now the next team, we talked about Shea and the Thunder, and how good they've been this season. Well, the Phoenix Suns faced the OKC Thunder recently, and the Suns lost. It was a very close game. They were without Devin Booker. They're currently on a slump. They're on a two-game losing streak. They dropped two to Denver, both that were very close games, and dropped one to OKC. Devin Booker has missed the last two games. What do you think about the Phoenix Suns? Are, are you worried about the Phoenix Suns? I'll start with you, Jeff. I'm not necessarily too worried. I think that they're a good team, that their problems are fixable, and... I think one of the biggest problems for them is they just can't close out games, and they have not been a very good fourth-quarter team at all. I think that's attributable to, one, being a fairly young team that outside of Chris Paul doesn't, and Jay Crowder doesn't have much playoff experience, doesn't have much experience closing out close games down the stretch, and that's a big thing. They've been dealing with some injuries, too. I know a couple guys have missed time here and there. Um and another thing is their depth is not great at all, and it showed. They really hit, go eight deep, and beyond that, I mean, they, they don't have much beyond that. So, especially late in games, you're relying on your starters to play 35 minutes. It, it's been tough for them in the fourth quarter. I know in the fourth quarter, they're shooting the ball. They're attempting eight threes per quarter in the fourth quarter and just going quarter by quarter. First quarter, they shoot four, around 40% from three. Second quarter around 37%. Third four, third quarter, around 40%. And then the fourth quarter, it drops down to 26%. So, And that's 29th in the league, percentage-wise. So that's just not sustainable. I think they are a good team, and they're in basketball games. I feel like every time I watch them, they're in a close game, but they just can't close that out at the end. So I think it, it's a fixable problem. But I would like to see them go out and make a move at the deadline maybe and get some more depth in. I think that would help. I mean, for me, we said it on draft day, Jack. I mean, we've said this on draft day. And I think Riv was here for it too, but I think mainly it was Jack and I because we made a segment about it as well. That the teams that 
lost the draft were the Phoenix Suns because they drafted Jalen Smith, oh, who yeah. I'm not denying his potential. He's a 6'10", stretch big. Hopefully he figures it out. But right now, Tyrese Halliburton is a better player, and I'd go as far to say that he projects to be a better player as well. Right now, the Suns are on off the bench. Their guards are their their guard off the bench. They have Cameron Payne, Langston Galloway, and um, Javon Carter. I like I like all three of them. They're not bad players, but they're all undersized. They don't have a a real legit two guard coming off the bench. Tyrese Halliburton would have been perfect. You see in Sacramento right now, he plays alongside Corey Joseph off the bench perfectly. Tyrese Halliburton could have played a two guard like role with Cameron Payne coming off the bench, with Cameron Johnson coming off the bench with them, and Sarich, and sometimes Kaminsky, they would have been fine. But instead, they chose to draft Jalen Smith, and that was such a mistake. It was a mistake, and I'm going to say this. I'm not worried about the Suns. I picked them to make the playoffs. I think they'll still make the playoffs. They'll find a way to finish out these games very soon. They're still a team that's trying to mess together. You add in Jay Crowder and Chris Paul. Mikel Bridges takes a leap in scoring. But for me, I want to see more out of Devin Booker. You know, that that's my thing. I want to see more out of Devin Booker. These past couple of years, he scored a lot of points. The Suns lost. This year, his scoring average is down by three points. With a true point guard like Chris Paul, you expect those numbers to be up. And I get that, you know, that's asking a lot of Booker, but... I personally feel like Booker can be a 28 points per game scorer in the NBA. And to this point, there are times where I see the Suns and he's passive. I want to see Booker take over. I want to see what I saw from him in that eight-game stretch in the bubble. I want to see more out of Devin Booker. And as of recently, I have not seen that. And it's I wasn't as high as you guys on the Phoenix Suns. I thought they could get in. You guys were pretty locked in on them getting in. But I, I I haven't been impressed with Chris Paul this year. I feel like he's been kind of playing under – he has been under the water. He hasn't been playing like I thought he was going to play. But at the same time, Joel, you hit it on the nail. Devin Booker hasn't made that leap that we thought he was going to make that leap. You know, he walked into the bubble, the team went A&O. He had great performance after great performance after great performance. And people were talking about, all right, this is the year. They got Chris Paul – this is the year where Devin Booker is going to take the leap. And you would think with Chris Paul being the primary ball hand, even when Cameron Payne and Javon Carter coming in, you would think Devin Booker would kind of take the back seat to playmaking and become more of that threat offensively. But fourth quarters, they just haven't been able to get it done. It's just, this is, you can tell this team is very young and inexperienced. They make a lot of bad mistakes in the fourth quarter. And then you look at this team. I think another problem that's really killing me is their second in free throw percentage but they're 29th in free throws attempts and 27th in free throws. They don't get to the line enough, and I think that in the, in the fourth quarter, that is something you need to do. You need to be able to get to the line, get these easy these easy free throws so you can get points on the board, and I think that's going to affect them down the line. But I think it's early. This is a young team. I think Chris Paul is going to rally the troops. He is that type of guy. We saw it in OKC, and I think this team with Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, and Cameron Johnson, I think, and De- DeAndre Ayton, they're just going to learn and learn and learn. They have the pieces. They just have to put together key performances and finish off games in the fourth quarter. This is what I'll say. Chris Paul right now is shooting 29% from three. So he is not shut up, shot to his shut average. Up. Yeah, <laughs> he is not shot to what he used to average in terms of three-point percentage. I think that's going to go up, no doubt about it. Too. But Monty Williams 
has yet to find a way, has yet to look for a way to get DeAndre Ayton involved consistently. Ayton has been elite defensively this season, but offensively, you know, he has not been that assertive and they have not gave him the ball enough. See, getting Chris Paul, I thought not only Devin Booker was going to take a huge leap, but I thought that DeAndre Ayton was going to take a huge leap in terms of scoring 20 and 13 a game. I thought he was going to be that type of player. I'm still waiting on that. Maybe they have to find a way to get it all clicking and going together because, to be honest, I'm fine with Booker averaging 23 if Ayton is right behind him. But I, but I, I don't think that Chris Paul should be the second leading scorer on this team. Like I, th- I personally feel like it should be Booker, Aiton, and then Paul. I think Bridges should be ahead of Paul, honestly. I mean, it's close. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think Chris Paul. Need, I, I think he should be around the sixteen points per game. I think when Michael Bridges, I'm expecting a little too much. He his, his shot attempts. He kind of takes just threes or open jump shots. He's not that guy where he's going to create yet. He's not there yet. But you're correct. DeAndre Aiden has to get touches in the paint. He has to become more assertive. And I think Monty Williams definitely has to find a way to micromanage DeAndre Aiden. I think we see a lot of Devin Booker and Chris Paul with the ball a lot. I think they should definitely, instead of just lobs to DeAndre Aiden and once in a bloom, I think he should definitely get a few ISO plays in the game to, you know, assert his dominance and get that inside-outside game. And this is the problem with the way that the Suns went in this draft, right? Because we see the Nets that they staggered minutes between Harden, um, Harden, KD, and Kyrie. The Suns should be doing the same. You know, when you have all of them starting together, like Booker, Chris Paul, and Aiton, if they would have drafted Halle Burton, you can have Halle and Booker out there together and Chris Paul on the bench. Or you can have Halle and Aiton out there and they could do their thing. Right now off the bench, you got Cameron Payne, who's a scoring guard. Langston Galloway, a score. Javon Carter, a score. These aren't facilitators and playmakers. They can do it, but not to the level as a Halle Burton. Right now, like, there's a list of um, players that, like, most added points offensively towards their teams as rookies. Halle Burton is beating everybody by, like, a large margin. Like, he is running away in that category. And defensively, he's very, very good. I just, we said it at the moment. They whiffed on it. Yeah. Like, the Suns, before Chris Paul came and before Rubio was there, they were always looking for a point guard of the future. This could have At been that him. 11th pick, they had two staring in their faces, Kara Lewis and Tyrese Halliburton. And, of course, now knowing what we know, I saw like a fly in front of yeah, me. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> now knowing what we know, Tyrese Halliburton should have been that pick because he's second in rookie of the year race. And I think they whiffed on it. And we said it that day. Chris Paul's not going to be there for four, five years. He's going to be there for two years max. So you needed that guy. If Halliburton would have learned other Chris Paul, who would have, he could have probably even been better than what he is now. Yeah. And Smith is, I don't don't think he's ever going to surpass DeAndre Ayton. So I don't see the fit for him. I mean, can he play play the four next to DeAndre Ayton? Playing the four. I like I don't see where he fits I, at I all unless they plan on letting DeAndre Ayton walk at some point. Have have they extended him yet? I mean, no. I don't think they would let him walk in any universe, but no in no way does that pick make sense. And we were just as stunned on draft night, like you said. But I will say for DeAndre Ayton, his big problem has been consistency. Like he can't find that consistency. He's been really good over the last like four or five games. 
but he started the season really poorly. So it's like, can he find that consistent play? That's That's been the problem with DeAndre Ayton now, and the uh, problem for him last year was missing the first 20 games because of the PED suspension. So can he find that consistent play and not even be an elite big man, but just be a consistently very good big man? That's all they need him to be, and he hasn't been that all season long, and it's been pretty disappointing. So can he consistently play the way he has over the last five games? If he can do that, I think the Suns will be very happy with that production. And we'll see what happens, but hopefully they find a way to implement DeAndre Aiden more into the offense, and Devin Booker starts takes yeah, that next leap that we're waiting on him to take. Because for the past couple of years, everybody's been talking about Devin Booker, underrated, underrated. Now he has a great team or a really, really good team. So now this stand out, stand it. amongst the crowd and show that you're that type of player, that caliber of player. So this is the last segment of the podcast, the one that we're about to do, not oh. the one we just <laughs> talked about. It's about Lonzo Ball. Bully. The Pelicans, are they're open to trading Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, but we're going to talk about Lonzo Ball. Right now, he's averaging 12 points per game, five assists per game, shooting 39% from the field and 29% from three. So his efficiency is really bad. But what team do you want to see Lonzo Ball get traded to? I'll start first. The New York Knicks. All right. Um, I'll say this. I have two teams. And the Knicks are my team that, yes, I want to see him traded to because I think he's an upgrade over Alfred Payton. And his size, wingspan, is a perfect fit for a team who predicates what they do on the defensive side of the ball. I think Lonzo Ball would be perfect with the Knicks. And Tom Thibodeau is a great coach who can bring that fire out in Lonzo Ball. And he'd be playing in such a great market like New York. I think it would be a, a win-win. You get an upgrade over El- Alfred Payton, and you sell a lot of jerseys because it is Lonzo Ball in New York. My second pick is the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, listen, I don't think it's going to take much to get Lonzo Ball. You can trade Patrick Patterson to stretch four slash stretch five. He can fit with Zion and them better, and maybe like a second-round pick or, or future, future first. You can do that. And now the Clippers have a bench of Luke Kennard, Lou Will, Lonzo Ball. Marcus Morris. Um, Marcus Morris, Ivica Zubac. Like, you have a true playmaker. And even if at the end of the games, if you want to go with a lineup of Lonzo, Kawhi, PG, Ibaka, and Batum, that's a really good lineup too because now you have a natural playmaker in Lonzo Ball and you get to keep Pat Bev. I don't think the Clippers have to trade Lou Will or Pat Bev for Lonzo Ball. And neither do I. And I don't think that the Pelicans want Lou Will or um, Patrick Beverly because they have enough guards. They're trying to get rid of guards. So I think you can do it with the trade of Patrick Patterson to one of those teams. So I have the Knicks and Clippers as my Um, two destinations. Yeah, the first would be the Clippers. I think if you can find a way to keep Lou Will and Pat Bev or even just keep Pat Bev, I think getting Lou Will is going to be wonderful. uh, I'm sorry. I think getting Lonzo Bowles is going to be wonderful. I think Lou Will is at the point right now where he's probably one of their least most impactful players. I think Marcus Morris has been great off the bench. Kennard has been great off the bench. I think bringing in Lonzo Ball is going to give you that size at the point guard position when Pat Bev is in foul trouble and he's a better playmaker than Pat Bev. Another team I would like to see, and I would like to see him in Charlotte with his brother. I think he needs an environment like that. I think in a, like these, I think L.A. messed him up pretty bad. I think his dad messed him up pretty bad. I think New Orleans has kind of taken his confidence. He's seen Brandon Ingram grow into the player 
he's going to be in Lonzo. It's just like, damn, why can't I grow into that pain? And I think an environment like Charlotte, quiet place, nice area. I got my bro out here. I think that will definitely turn the gear and turn him into the player he needs to be. They're both playmakers, but I feel like LaMelo has that scoring mentality. Whereas Lonzo, we can see he doesn't have, he's more of a Jason Kidd guy, finesse guy. So I think Charlotte and the Clippers would be my spot. That would be funny. I'm sure that's what LeVar wants too. No, hundred percent. And then they sign Leangelo. He's, <laughs> he's moving to Charlotte. Um, I think the first obvious pick you guys both said at the Clippers would be a perfect fit. He's that playmaker that they've been looking for, the playmaker they talked about in the offseason, and they never found, whether it was money or not being able to to get somebody. Lonzo Ball would fit that playmaking role. He would be a great defender and just add to all, an already elite defensive lineup with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Serge Ibaka. Like that defense would be great. And he would add that playmaking. I think he's a perfect fit in Los Angeles with the Clippers. I also like the Knicks fit, just because Thibodeau is such a great defensive coach. Lonzo is a really good defender, and he would be an upgrade over over Peyton. But the place that I came up with, team we just talked about, the Phoenix Suns. I think he could come in and be that backup point guard wow. that they're kind of looking for. Would be a great playmaker to pair alongside Devin Booker, get him those shots, and add some defense. That you know, Devin Booker is not a great defender, so you could stick him on an opposing team's elite guard. And I don't think it would take much like you were talking about with the Clippers. Maybe Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky. Dario Sarch is another guy with that $9 million. You would have to wait until the beginning of March, I think, because his contract was just signed. So there's that rule, whatever, with the newly signed contract. But it would be before the trade deadline, so that would fit. And I don't think it would cost much. Maybe Dario Sarch. Jalen Smith, maybe if they want him, but oh, no. I don't even think he would have to throw in a pick. So I think he would be a perfect fit there in Phoenix, add some depth, and bring in that playmaking point guard alongside Devin Booker, get some depth. I'm surprised you didn't mention this team. I think another team that would be good would be the Chicago Bulls. No. Nah. I think the Bulls need a true point guard. I don't think he starts over Kobe because Kobe's been really good this season. If you watch him, he's actually improved. Now, he's improved as a playmaker, playmaker for sure. But I think the Bulls could use them. They play a fast-tempo brand of basketball, which is going to help Lonzo. And another team, the Golden State Warriors. You know, I think... I actually saw a, a trade package. It was Kelly Oubre for um, Lonzo and Josh Hart. Would he start there or come off the bench? Come off the bench. Come off the bench. Brad Wanamaker is horrible. I think Josh Hart Agreed. could start, though. Over. And then start Curry at the two or start Josh Hart at the two? <laughs> no, start Josh start, Hart. Start Hart at the two. Well, I mean, it Curry's, doesn't really make a difference. Hart at the two. Oh uh, yeah, Curry at the two. <laughs> that's why. That's Josh why Hart. I was as shocked as. Yeah, nah, nah. Curry, no. Curry, no two. Curry one. That's why I was when you said. Well, Lon- I would, I when would you guys start... said Lonzo last week when you said Lonzo to the Warriors. I was a little confused because I would start Curry can't play the two. Curry, Lee. Wiggins and then have Hart and Lonzo off the bench. That's so. Then could do. you like? Would you be able to have lineups out there with Lonzo at the two and Curry at the one? No, you yes. have Steph at yeah. the one, but Lonzo would just bring the ball up. Same way how Draymond just brings the ball up, but Steph is the one. You can still yeah, have no the doubt about it. Yeah, that that's why I think Lonzo would be there. But also, I think. Um, what about when Clay comes back? I brought that up, and you guys said we don't have to worry about Clay. He's not coming back till next year. Clay, but I mean, you still you have, have to think. You about still that. have Hart and Lonzo off the bench. Ooh. No, because Lonzo's a free agent. I think it just makes agent. it better. 
I so mean, you can sign him back. Are you going to trade him just for? I don't even know. I don't you're, think you would you trade can sign him, him back. Yeah, you're digging too deep into this, bro. You got to think about it, though. I ain't got to think just about that later, no, later in life, man. Like, talk about right now. I ain't thinking about Clay, man. We worry they, about. I mean, they could sign Lonzo back if he's on the team already. I mean, I think it. Honestly, I wouldn't go that route that you said. I'd start Curry, Wiggins at three, and Hart at the two. I like Hart starting because of his defense. I mean, yeah, and I like, he can shoot the ball. I like Damian Lee's three three point shot. Now, yeah, I know Damian Lee's good, but I think you can you can play him with Curry regardless. Yeah. And Lonzo, I think you can you can play him with Curry and Spurts. Yeah, you know because he's another playmaker who Kirk can probably have as a primary ball handler to run those plays and those sets for Steph. And he's not going to miss Steph like Ubre misses Steph. Like he's he, not he or any a, of them. One of the biggest knocks that Steph had on the roster construction earlier this year was. He said we need high IQ guys. I think Lonzo Ball is a super high IQ player. I think Josh Hart is too. I think Josh Hart is too. Yeah, no, Josh Hart's a really good player. He's, he's not a bad shooter either. Yeah. It wouldn't be a bad fit. I mean, you can interchange him or it doesn't really matter. You can interchange. It's, I think the only problem would be Lonzo has to get a shot up. You can't have him and Draymond out there. How much money is Lonzo going to command next year? He can't command much. He's he's shooting thirty nine percent from the Ridic- field. He's ridiculous. If well, he that's command. what I'm asking. How much do you think you think he will be around? Seven eight. I think that's being generous. I'm gonna be honest. Right so now, the, right now, what he brings is jersey. I sales. think he's straight getting money off potential alone. I'm just I'm just trying to think of like the future moving forward for that deal with the Warriors. They would I mean, be stacked at the guard. As long as Lonzo does doesn't average twenty, which he won't, or fifteen, <laughs> which he won't. He's not gonna get a lot of money. He, if he goes to the Warriors with Steph and those and Wiggins already there, and no and good scores like Lee and Hart, if he goes there too, Lonzo's gonna average ten to twelve max. The same thing he's averaging now, but on better efficiency. Like if we're being honest, and the Warriors play fast too, so that's gonna help Lonzo out tremendously, especially when on the break. That's gonna help Wiseman out, and when they come off the bench. I mean, you got a bench. You could have a bench of Lonzo, Lee, or Lonzo, Hart, Pascal. and Pascal. I think that's pretty good. You got a natural playmaker in Lonzo. Kevin, stupid loony. You could have some really good defensive lineups out there too. When you get, assuming Clay comes back, is still a very good defender. He will. You be. could have like, you could hide Steph with a lineup of like Lonzo, Clay, Draymond, James Wiseman. I think Lonzo right now yeah. needs confidence. I think I don't think his jump shot is bad. He's just shooting bad. He just needs confidence. If he plays with Draymond. And what Draymond does as a leader and as They're a on court coach, he's gonna be a yeah. heck of a player. And, and I don't think he won't he will not he, command a lot you have of Remember, they have get. Andrew Wiggins playing all NBA defense right now. They're definitely gonna get Lonzo to play great. I'm an Andrew Wiggins hater, and they have Andrew Wiggins playing like so a you admit valuable you are piece. Andrew Wiggins hater. Okay. hundred percent. hundred percent. So he's I'm just saying we, <laughs> the teams that we named were the Knicks, the Bulls, the Clippers, the Warriors, and you named another team, I believe. Suns. You named the Suns. So Don't those are the Hornets. Oh, and the Hornets. Oh man. So we all agree Lonzo Ball should get traded to one of those teams. This is gonna do it for this podcast. This is the sixty third episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. As always, you guys can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast, on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod, and donate to us on Patreon.com slash Pick Aside Podcast. There was a lot of uh intermissions in this episode. Before getting episode. before getting to the other topics, but it's cool. We just like to do things in the flow of things. And also, don't forget to give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us trend in the charts. If you guys one day want to see us as one of the top sport, po- sport podcasts on Apple Podcast charts, then 
give us a review. It's going to help us out tremendously. We guys appreciate you, and thank you for listening. It was a great episode. This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they work together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire.